an amazing studio here. I don't know if I'm in uh, uh, the USS Enterprise uh, or if I'm in some spy station in a bunker of unknown area, but you've got everything under control here. Radio Rob, I am impressed. Hello, audience. And that, yeah, we're streaming on Facebook, so you can get us on Facebook Live. Now, a lot of things I want to get to with Lou, but before we get into it, like we always do, we go, what have you been up to? So, Pep, we know it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. What have you been up to the last week? Uh, let's see. When we were here last Saturday, was it? Were we last? What day were we here last? Uh, last? What day were we here last? I don't remember. Saturday? Wednesday, maybe? Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. Was it last Thursday? It was last Thursday. Um, it was Thursday. Football over the weekend. Watched all the games. Very interesting. Um, just uh, watching the news. All the stuff going on in the news today. We had the impeachment around uh, five o'clock. They walked the the Four impeachment articles. the articles over and they had the press conference and all that. Nancy Pelosi said she's doing what's best for the American people. Thanks, Nancy. Just like Rose McGowan last week with her bullshit apologizing to Iran on, my, on our behalf. I'd like to stay away from the, political, behalf, the political commentary. Let me, just let me finish. Your, your, your behalf, Lou's behalf, my behalf, Rose McGowan is apologizing for, you know, bombing Iran. Uh, watched the whole thing, the inductions today. Uh, the, uh, best thing that happened was Howard Carmichael. I wasn't expecting it, but I'm very happy that he's in it. Very happy that he's in it. And, um, you see how I tell Pep, what'd you do this week? And he goes into a long soliloquy. But go ahead. Keep going. Facts. <laughs> Thanks, no, Rob. Go ahead. Go ahead. But the best thing about it is you're watching ESPN, and they have a live feed of Drew Pearson not getting inducted, and then he's crying like a little Dallas Cowboy bitch. That was great. That made my birthday today, watching that on ESPN. Okay. Anything else? Oh, well, uh, do you do anything for your birthday today? Went to lunch at Phil's today. Had Good the, old Phil's Tavern, tender, I love it. Tenderloin sandwich. Best sandwich they have, I think. That's the hamburger, but it's And okay. uh, going out later tonight. Oh, yeah? To the Bold Birds Brewing Company. Where? The, but you're not drinking. No, I'm going to eat. And... Maybe get lucky? Well, it's not get... Well, if, it's, if, it, <laughs> if it snows in July, maybe, but oh, no. Is he going to a casino? Yeah, he's going to go to a casino, Lou. Well, he might be lucky. Lou, remember when you talk, get about six inches from the microphone. I got you. Yeah, get up. There you go. Got to get up in there. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So, Lou, what have you What have you been up to the last well, week? I'll tell you, Radio Rob, you know, I have four grandkids, and they're all involved in activities and athletics. So I was going to athletic events, and then at the same time, I'll tell you, one of the biggest highlights, and this was on Saturday or Sunday, I got to give it some thought, the missus and I had an amazing experience we went to the most recently opened Hobby Lobby off of Route 63. Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby. Okay. Which is an amazing place. Uh, yes, money was spent. Whether it's sports, uh, whether it's just uh, knick-knack design, it okay. is an amazing place. And uh, Keep going. let's just say that I've added to uh, the man cave a little bit and also some housewares. you got to go to Hobby Lobby. It's enormous. And uh, anything Don't give them too much, pub. They're not paying me to advertise on here. Bro. Well, you know, but Hobby Lobby seems to have a particular philosophy um, that is very supportive of, uh, let's say, uh, semi-conservative um, standards of the Constitution. So I'll give them a little heads up for that reason. And then, of course, this was uh, Monday was session three, and today was session four of the Golden Generals Dare to Prepare uh, boot camp. Okay which I have in the bubble at the Upper Dublin Sports Fitness Club off of Tennis Avenue. I have 22 athletes 
and uh, eight are softball girls. The rest are young men, boys in the seventh through eleventh grade. They represent about uh, three junior highs and three four high schools. Okay. Now I've been just getting ready for the show like I always do. I got some guests coming up, but one quick step, and I want I want to debut on the program, Lou. And that segment is, as I can barely hear him, let me turn my memory, got a little bit better. Um, new segment, dumb people, stu- sorry, stupid people and the dumb things they do. Because we could do a whole show stupid. just on the stupidity of people, because Lord knows they're all around us, Lou. So real quick, and then we're going to get into co- everything Coach Lou in a second. I'm at Wawa a couple days ago. I was getting coffee for some people. In the morning, I go in and go get the coffee. I have, more, I have three coffees. You need a carrier. There's no carrier. All right, well, I guess I got I to gotta carry the coffee. I don't have to carry it is what it is. I go to ring out. The guy goes, you know, you can get a carrier. I go, you don't have any. He goes, oh, yeah, I don't. I'll have to get some later. I was like, you getting them later does nothing for me now. True. It's ridiculous. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. These, there's just dumb people all around us, Lou. I don't. It's stupid. Uh, that's why my boot camp is called Dare to Prepare. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I know. It's a lesson in life. We will get into a lot of the things I've learned with Coach Lou being uh, being around you. We'll get into that as the show goes on. But every time I've been around, I say we, we you need to come in back in. You have a lot of stories to share. I guess to kick it off, when did you first get into coaching? Was it right? Was it out of high school? Was it in college? When does like you know what I want to coach? When did that happen? Well, I was a college student, did not have the skills. To, it was a Division One college and did not have the skills to be of their baseball level. And my high school did not have baseball at that particular time. They did five, six, seven, eight years later because I know I got a call asking if I'd be interested in becoming their coach. Um, so it was just summer ball, community ball, until you reached a certain age you know, and maxed out. Um, it was maybe February-ish. Uh, like 1971-ish, and um, my cousin and a group of kids, they were 7th, 8th graders, were shooting some hoops, and uh, they approached me at, from Queen of Peace School and said, uh, hey, we need a baseball coach. And they hadn't had a baseball team in like five years. And uh, apparently I was like the 5th, 6th, whatever person they had asked, and they all said no. And I had a couple buddies where they said, yeah, we'll do it. Not really thinking in the you know, extent what this is going to involve. Next thing you know, mm-hmm. I get a phone call the next day from the p- parish priest. I'm in the rectory, and we're discussing things, and I'm told, you got to go to this meeting, and you got to go to that meeting. you got to go to this meeting for the field, and then you got to see the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. See what, whoa. And I was a college student, so I was going back and forth doing all kinds of stuff. So we, we got the team started in the first year. Uh, all we could afford was T-shirts, a lot of uh, semi-duct-taped, repaired helmets, spray-painted. That hasn't changed really much. No, it hasn't. <laughs> uh, it was wood bats, a lot of uh, duct tape and uh, finishing nails to fix them. And uh, they wore blue jeans. And uh, we participated. I think we won just one or two games. Uh, but three years later, we became champs. And uh, over the next few years, we won like three titles. And eventually the region in 75, yeah, we won the regional uh, Philadelphia, um, the whole bit. We beat all the champions for whatever's the champion for the five-county area. And uh, so that started on like, yeah, okay, we'll give it a shot and uh, stayed involved. And so so then you get in the Legion Ball, right? That is an interesting story. So how did, how did why Legion Ball and how did you, because you're still heavily involved in it. 
Yes. And how did you how did you All go right. in the, so, the four way in the Legion ball? So now I'm at Upper Dublin High School. I'm a teacher at Upper Dublin High School. I teach history, and I'm on the basketball staff. They hired me like a week into my job. They knocked at the door and said, "Can you coach basketball?" And I did play basketball maybe through the ninth, tenth grade. Yeah. Um, and I did have some CYO coaching. I got involved in that a little bit. And I said, absolutely. So they made me JV coach because they had a brand new varsity coach that moved up. And uh, he was there many years, very successful, Jeff Huddleston. And uh, so we were at a game. Uh, after the games, we would meet with our scout. Usually on Fridays were the big meet times. Uh, they'd be scouting the next opponent. We were at the Jarrettown Hotel. He came in. Right? Great happy hour, by the way. Well, I don't know what it was like back in 1975. But well, tremendous happy hour right now. Happy. Right now. It was uh, like Christmas time, okay. 1975. We're, we're going over the scouting report, having a snack. And I was approached by uh, uh, a couple dads from the Upper Dublin Summer Program. And they said, uh, yo, would you be interested in coaching our Legion team? Apparently, um, Upper Dublin uh, Athletic Association had been coaching, had been running the Legion team for a couple years. It used to be Fort Washington. I said, yeah, I might be interested. I'll let you know. We spoke. And it was a matter of if you do coach the team, you got to find a sponsor. you got to do it. And so I was able to communicate with uh, Dixon Post 10 Legion because they had been the sponsor since the early 1930s till almost 1970. And then something happened. And uh, I took over the team. And got some of my pals to coach, and uh, that's how I ended up doing Legion Ball. The first season was 1976. And you've been involved ever since. Yes, but here's what's <laughs> fascinating. Uh, the first victory, I think we lost our first two games very close. When we finally got a victory, my pitcher hit was a batter. Was Al Warner? Sorry. It was, <laughs> you're close. My pitcher uh, hit a batter, walked a batter, and I think there was an error. And, uh, and, there, and there was a blue pit. He struck out his seven inning games. He struck out 20 guys. And that was 1976. And uh, 10 years later, he's pitching in the major leagues. And that was Dorn Taylor, who played for me, uh, you know, a couple seasons and visited my camps and all. And got a late start in pro ball. But uh, he signed in the warehouse of Standard Press Steel the day after Thanksgiving in 1981. And uh, ended up a free agent signing. Worked his way up with the Pirates and got brought up, I think it was May of 86, and pitched a, like seven innings, a start, a victory against the Houston Astros. And then the next year, either the next year or whatever, I met his uh, road roommate at one of the games when they came to Philadelphia. And his road roommate was a, a thin guy with a Mr. T starter kit. It's a good story, folks. With, with a ton of jewelry. Um, and what it was, it was a twilight doubleheader in Philadelphia. And uh, um, at that time, Doran Taylor was in the bullpen. He did not throw in game one. Game one was ended. They go in the locker room. I guess they're going to have snacks or whatever. And I'm, so now they call them snacks in the locker room? I guess they're called snacks. <laughs> okay. I'm sitting behind a Pirates dugout with my, my, my kids and some of my coaches and whatever. And, and Doran's family. And Doran comes around, climbs over the fence in his Pirates uniform. Now he's with the crowd. Security has to come down and keep everybody away. Here comes a bunch of other pirates, and he introduces me to his team as this is the guy I had as a high school teacher, and, and he was my basketball coach, he was my Legion coach, but we're talking, and all of a sudden a voice says, uh, hey, that's the guy that was a pain on the phone, because we had had some phone conversations. Oh, so go back. How did you end up having 
phone phone conversations with him. How did that happen? What would happen was uh, Doran would stay in touch. Often it was a collect call, and uh, he was going to be coming to town. Um, I think it was may have been the previous season or earlier that season. And his was. roommate was his roommate on the road. Uh, his second season was uh, Barry Bonds. Okay, uh, Barry was a, a, like a rookie. And what happened was um, Dorn had it all lined up. Dave Parker, him, and and, and Barry Bonds. Uh, we're gonna pick them up at the Hersey Hotel. They're gonna spend a day at my baseball camp, which is. At Upper Dublin High School, and then we're going to take him to Giuseppe's Pizza because he liked it there, you know. Blah blah. Well, what happened was my coaches go down and pick him up, and they only come back with Dorn, okay? Because Dave Parker couldn't make it, and Barry wanted five hundred bucks to show up, yeah, just and, to have and, lunch and with this, you guys. And this is for okay. charity, to, to, talking to the kids, right? And <laughs> what happened was to to make sure everything was confirmed a few days before, I returned a phone call. My wife had taken a note says, "Oh, Dorn called." I returned a phone call. It was some hotel, wherever they were before they came to Philadelphia. And the person that answered the phone said, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> I said, I'd like to speak to Doran Taylor. Well, he's not here. I said, well, I'd like to speak to Doran Taylor. This is uh, Coach Lou. He goes, well, I'm not a secretary. And the phone dropped. I, I mean, I heard clump, clump. I go, who the hell is this rude dude? And about a minute later, oh, I said, who was that guy? He goes, oh, he's very high strung. <laughs> Uh, that's Barry Bonds. I said, oh, I know who he was. I watched his dad play ball. And I remember on early ESPN when he was playing college ball at Arizona State. I said, hey, he's a good ball player, whatever. Fine. So I, I, I forgot about him. <clears throat> well, then we had a conversation where he left me a message, and I called him back again. Maybe it was a month later. That guy answered the phone. And I said, man, this guy, I know this guy's a, he's a punk. So... So you're, you have it now in for Barry Bonds. So, so now I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to think fast. And so here's here's exactly what I said. Uh, yes, this is the law offices of blah, 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 blah. It's very important we speak to Dorn Taylor. And what what's this about? Oh, it's about the payroll situation that's taking place with the Pirates. The phone drops. <laughs> A minute goes by. Dorn grabs the phone. I knew that was you. All right. Barry Bonds is down the hall, banging on our traveling secretary's door. He's all pissed off. Is there anything wrong with my paycheck? And I said, good, don't tell him it was me. Yeah. And, and we had our conversation. So that was that. So this may have been a year later. It may have been months later. I don't remember. But we're at that game, Twilight Doubleheader. Barry pops his head out, and he makes this comment more to the effect, oh, that's a guy I spoke on the phone with, isn't it? You're a pain in the ass. And I looked at him, and... He had an array of, like, gold, and who knows if it was real gold. He had at least seven, eight chains. Okay. And all I said is, oh, pleased to meet you, uh, Barry Bonds, uh, and I'm very impressed with your Mr. T starter kit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Barry was not happy with no, that. No, he popped in the dugout, and then Doran told me, like, that winter, he goes, yeah, all year long, man. Guys were calling him Mr. T, Mr. T. You know, I was like, good. So I'm sure um, the amazing, maybe a Hall of Fame to be, uh, Barry Bonds, would not remember much or anything about me, but I'm sure if somebody said Mr. T starter kid, he might have a flashback to 1987-ish, somewhere around there, uh, of some crazy guy that claimed to be his roommate's baseball coach. I don't know if Barry Bonds has a Twitter account, but we'll take a picture of you, and it'll say Mr. T starter kid. We'll tweet him. We'll see if he responds. I don't know if he has a Twitter account. I'm not, I'm not sure if he does. He might. I'm not sure. <laughs> He wouldn't recognize me. Should we dye your hair for it? I, I well, I, maybe if I lost about ten pounds and put on the right cap, 
It might pay off. <laughs> so you, you, Legion Ball, we got. Did you coach at all at Upper Devon High School? Yes, you did. Yes. Well, what happened was I left the Catholic school uh, as a coach, and they they had a brand new varsity coach. They said, "Would you take the JV team?" I said, "I would." My hair's what my goal was the first year. It was 1978. I wanted the team to be successful. So that first year, uh, we won more games than the previous four seasons, which was apparently three, four different coaches. Okay. And uh, and it was during that time, my, my success and the success of the players, and I always was able to have good coaches, um, it was all Legion. Legion was doing very well, and I was getting offers from other high schools, but it just didn't work out. You know, when you have a home, you're married with two kids, and everything has to be kind of convenient. And so what made me eventually go to the college situation is because Jim Randolph. Real, and, real quick, a, 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 yes. Lou, a Louism, I guess, about being married. I remember because I always talk. Lou's like the consigliere of life for me. We'll get into that as the show goes on. But the one thing you told me, I was talking about how I'm not married. It was one of our late nights after a game. Like, Lou, yeah, I'm not married. My mother, I think she's listening now, wants me to get married. That's ah, not going to happen. And you stop. You're like, Rob. You're like, hold on. Actually, you said radio, Rob. You said, you're married. You're married to the game of baseball. So technically, I am married, right? Because that was one yes. of your euphemisms. Yes. I'm married to you the are, game. You are married to the game, and what you have to do is you have to find a fine American lady who knows how to throw upright and forward to share that with you. No, get a little closer to the microphone. I said, you have there to, you go. You have to find yourself a, a nice American lady who respects the game, who can play catch. Because, I hope she can play well, catch. You want your off, you want your <laughs> offspring to have that gene that they'll at least go in the backyard and throw rubber balls and things around. And so it's not too late. You know, you're still under the big four O. I think you can pull it off. Now we move on to Monco. So you go to Monco. What first of all, what year is it? And what makes you say, I want to go get into the college ranks? What makes you want to do that job? Well, I had an offer to uh be on the coaching staff. Big time salary of, offer? Um, uh, it was Pennsylvania Military Colleges, and they were just becoming known as Widener. Okay. It was the late 70s. They had been Widener a couple years, and I had helped a couple Fort Washington kids go there. The coach's name, I think, was Harry Walker, something like that. And he wanted to know if I'd be willing to be his assistant. Well, that was kind of impractical. It's so far away. And, you know, you're stuck in a high school situation. And then um, the, the, the coach of um, Pharmacy University was Joe Hindelang. And he took the job at Lafayette. I knew Joe, and he told me, you should apply for pharmacy. But, of course, these were jobs that involved, how could I be there at 12, 1 o'clock and for buses? And we, It wasn't going to happen. But Jim Randolph approached me. We bumped into each other at the Gold Medal Sporting Goods Store in Roxborough. Remember that store, Pep? Your phone's Yes, good. Gold Medal. Gold Medal. Pep, Pep, you got someone texting you nude pics over there? What the hell's going on? I'm talking to Clarky. Good Lord. Hold the phone. You can so say I'm... hello to Craig Clarky. Say, what's up, guys? Clark, Yo, what's Craig. going on? Do me a favor. Hold the phone so it's not... I, I, you tell it vibrates, it vibrates on the table. I got you. Uh, utility man Jimmy Custer just very, came in. I see very that. professional technician. I see that. Sorry. Well, we were talking. I was picking up Fort Washington equipment, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yo, you should join my staff. I need a guy to coach with me and then take over. Clark, you said Joe was his coach at Penn State. Hey, Joe Hindelang, after yeah. Lafayette, went to Penn State to, to be a coach. And then I think he was replaced by Bobby Wine Jr. Okay. So, you know, so you're, yes. talking, you're talking to Randolph about – you ran into him, you're talking to him. Yeah. Is that where so, right? so I joined up with him in the fall. After I teach, I go over there in September, and he says to me, 
I would like you to run the, the, the fitness training. I would like you to incorporate um, your, your pickoff defensive stuff and this and that. And uh, my hope is that you'll uh, enjoy your experience here. And I picked up a lot of knowledge from Jim Randolph, who was in the St. Louis Browns organization. Um, and the St. Louis Browns, um, that's where Pete Gray had played. Uh, the one-armed guy, like in 1943 or four, okay. and uh, Jim Randolph is also in the coaches' hall of fame. It was like 2006. I went to his induction, um, the Pennsylvania Montgomery chapter, you know, the coaches' hall of fame, etc. And so, um, I guess it was all. Well, it was September, June. It was the summer of uh, 1990. I was named head coach. Okay. Jim stepped down. So, so were I, you planning you were going to be the head coach? or Well, yeah, he, he kept me involved. I, I put aside other opportunities. It was up the road. It was convenient. I was the American Legion connection because I knew everybody, at least in the, the five-county area. And at that time, um, it was pretty decent to recruit players for the junior college. Um, but by the early 90s, here's what changed everything. Uh, in the last 25 years, the following colleges never had baseball, and now they do. Immaculata, Chestnut Hill, um, Gwinnett. Um, uh, gosh, there's a, there's a whole mess of them. Newman, um, they were all new starting off their programs, and all of a sudden, the kind of athlete in the area that I was seeking, they were grabbing. So it became very challenging by the late 90s to get players. We had to open up our horizons and we came to the point is we'll take everybody and anybody and we'll teach them the position of need. Now, uh, I, I want to stop you real quick because we got, we still got, we've covered a lot, but there's a lot more we're going to get into. But uh, at Monco, I guess you could, you could say that you're almost like the bad news bears because you said you would take anybody as long as they would fit your, your need. So you would, you would find guys that got kicked out of college didn't you? Will you put that phone that's away? On, that's on oh, is me. that Lou? Sorry, Lou. <laughs> See, you're hollering at me. Sorry, I'm hollering at you. That's you know I, what? It's it's not all right. I, I apologize. So, <laughs> sorry. So anyway, I want to. What I want to get into? Oh, Doctor Jock is joining us. He's he's joining the program. Doc Jock. Yeah, he was with me today at the boot camp. Worked the kids very hard. Hang in there, Doc. So uh, at Monco, pretty much you'll take the guys that you know got kicked out of college, uh, didn't didn't play in college. Had different issues, different things went on, but and, and I would watch all this, being good friends with Christian Militello and John Ruggiero that were on your staffs that played for you. And I'm sure you'll get into this, but you know, you always were the master, and I learned this from just watching, were, of finding the diamond in the rough. I mean, I mean, you, you, we'll go through all the guys that you found and you coached, but how did you did you go out looking specific? Okay, where's a guy I can find? That's a good player, but eh, maybe didn't have the best track record. But I think I can get him to come play for me. Is that how you were thinking in the beginning, or how did that um, how did that get started? Eventually, my recruiting umbrella was very dependent on a former former players from any level. If if Rob if Rob was a former player of mine, you call me and say, "Look, I got this kid. He lives next door to my my nephew." Blah 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 blah. I will take your word that this kid can play. Um, Normally, every 99% of the time, they played at least high school ball. Um, also, there was a few judges okay. in, in the area that sometimes as part of a parole program. <laughs> they, Sounds like the current Norgram Packers. They, they, would, offer, <laughs> they would offer the uh, perpetrator uh, 
the opportunity. Go to jail or go play for yeah. Lou. Go to junior college. <laughs> I expect a monthly report from Coach Lou and prove yourself. I, I guess I had about a dozen guys that way. Uh, people came back from the military and wanted to take an opportunity for what they didn't do right out of high school. And then I had people who often got injured. They either got injured in their senior year of high school or they got injured at another college. And then they missed a year and they did rehab. Or I had coaches from colleges call me and say, look, we have this young man. He lives in Jersey. Da, 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 da. Um, if you could get make sure he gets 24 credits in a 2-4 GPA and teach him outfield, we have a scholarship waiting for him. And I did that with University of Maryland, um, with uh, James Madison, my connections at University of Richmond, um, all over the place. And, uh, of course, the most fascinating call was it was the day after Christmas. It was evening, and my home phone rang, <clears throat> 1995-ish, somewhere okay. around there. And he introduced himself, and it was Gary Maddox, seven, eight-time uh, gold glove. Secretary outfit, of Defense. Secretary of Defense. And he wanted to know if I could meet with him, his son, to discuss a possibility of, of playing baseball at Montgomery. Okay. And so we made arrangements. I had keys the next day. We were in the afternoon. We met at the gym at Montgomery. I had one of my uh, assistants show up. And Gary Maddox, the grandfather, and Derek Maddox. Now, his older brother was already in the minors. Um, Derek had played at the University of Maryland and got starting time as a freshman. He was now a sophomore and uh, did not wish to return to Maryland. And it makes sense because if you go to a junior college, if you enroll um, and get at least a semester under your belt, uh, you can be drafted. But if you go to a four-year college... You have to wait till three years is over. They can't touch you. That's why if you look at a lot of baseball cards from the uh, mid-90s, late-80s, that are, are New York Yankee players, you'll see a bunch of guys who went to Miami-Dade North, Miami-Dade South, Panama City, all these yeah, Florida. Junior colleges, exactly. But then you find out many of them went to a four-year college the previous year. And Mr. Steinbrenner's people had a way of making them – well, then they passed the four-year, two-year, four-year rule, which was if if you did go to a four-year college and you left and went to a two-year college and you wanted to go back, D1 or D2, you can only go back and be eligible if you had an associate's degree. This was to stop guys from making the move, leaving a four-year college, playing junior college, and not getting drafted. Like it didn't work out. Now they want to go back. Well, they were penalized. You sit out a year or you get that degree. So all these counterbalances took place. So it turned out the reason that Derek Maddox wanted to play for me, and the funny thing is um, we got him in. We did everything we had to do, and his father goes, I really want you to work on his outfield skills. I go, well, are you kidding me? How can I work on his outfield skills? You're a gold glove major league outfielder. And he says, uh, you know, you know, sons. He said. So, so consequently, we worked. And then I had a conversation with Derek one day. I said, "Your dad goes to spring training every year." And he said, "They bring him and Mike Schmidt. They bring them guys down there, and they're like they coach for like a week or two. He goes, "Yeah, he had a lot of fun until he ran into Lenny Dykstra." <laughs> and he was telling me these stories how Dykstra's like crazy doing the drills and all. And he had a, Dykstra had a uh, sub 
technique, a sub-skilled major league outfield technique, if you recall. Okay. The way he catches the way yeah. he threw. It wasn't the standards of – and it worked out with Derek because he got drafted. He did play a couple years in the minor leagues, and then he ended up playing pro ball in Australia. So I guess you would say um, we were second chance opportunity. I had a guy who was the number – didn't make the varsity of his high school until 12th grade. He was a number eight hitter. Nobody wanted him. Well – he wasn't. He thought he was better than, and he really was. He played for me for two years. I transferred him to um, uh, James Madison. He was all conference, and he got drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, like forty fifth round. So, uh, baseball is a sport where there's late development. But the, the most important thing and the most difficult thing with many of my college athletes was I had to tell them, this is college baseball. You because guys. More than once would say, Coach, I really like it on this team. Do I really have to be enrolled in the college to play? <laughs> yeah. Do I have to be in the college to play? And, Do I have to go to school? Yeah, well, well, there were guys where I had to remove them from the team because I found out they never enrolled. This is before the days of computers. Yeah. I said, you can't play for me. You don't go to this school. Oh, come on. Nobody has to know. Now I'm going to run some names by you of guys that played for you, and I want you to um, kind of, you know, give me give me your thoughts on it. Maybe a, two two minutes a little quick, and then uh, we're going to take a break. Come back, give us some funny Monco stories because you got a lot of them. And then on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about you taking your American Legion baseball team to Greaterford State Prison, which today I still think is one of the greatest stories of all time and should be made into a movie. But before I get into all your players, <laughs> one of the things that I learned that you did because. I would go to your practices, hey, come come see so-and-so, come look at this guy, come in the winter, and I'd see it with all these stations and having guys move here and here, and I'm like, and you were very adamant telling the guys how to do it and which order to go in. I'm like, why is he t- why is he repeating these instructions to these kids over and over and over again? And then when they would F it up, you'd stop, yell at them, you're not supposed to go here, you got to go to the bat attack, then you got to go over here. And I couldn't figure out why you're, I'm like, there's got to be a reason you're doing it. And I think I figured out what the reason was. You, If you can't get them to follow instructions mm. in practice, mm. there is no way in hell in a game when you need them to do something verbatim that they're going to be able to do it in a game. Like, aha, that's why you're doing it. And I, I, I didn't pick up on it, and that's the reason. Am I right? Is that the oh, reason? You did it? That's why you did it. You're not only right. Stop and think. Um, there's a controversy right now. Uh, baseball offensively and defensively constantly is having communications either verbally or silently or cues are called signals. And you're doomed if somebody cannot remember the signals and they are there in a critical situation. Sometimes so, on our team, guys, uh, yes. sometimes people give multiple signals and yes. the head coach and the bench coach don't yes. talk about it. Pep. <laughs> There are times no, I'm distracted. Pep, Pep has his signals that he uses. Lou has his signals. And then we'll give him different signals during the game. We go into the third inning and I go, how come, how come so-and-so didn't get that sign? And they go, what sign? And then we I got to call a team meeting in the fourth inning because we, which signals are we going with? Pep signals or Lou's or well, signals? That is an advanced technique. Uh, in the major leagues, they have signals often that, yes, it might mean steal for everybody, but... Then they add an individual body part for individual players, and that throws everybody off that's out there trying to, you know, pick up on you. I remember when I had Boa and Vukovic uh, doing a, a coaches clinic at Montgomery County College. Um, my assistant coaches were Joe Catanzaro, 
who's the president of the Perky League. Who's that guy? Joe Catanzaro? Joe Catanzaro. I think I've heard of him. And my other assistant was Tommy Cardi, who became the head coach at Georgia State. And uh, we had this fundraiser, and we had all these characters there. And Larry Boa was teaching, and, uh, and, and Vukovic was teaching. And I remember going up to Boa, because I remember being at a game, and I it was 1993-ish or 4 or somewhere around there. And uh, he was part of the team that had all the macho guys. Macho, well, yeah. With Jim Fergosi, yeah. yeah. And I said, you know, I noticed that every odd inning, you start your signals going to your left hip. And every even inning, you start your signal, he goes, oh. Lou, closer to the microphone. He basically said, oh, is Vukovic telling you my signals? Well, no. Anybody who's been around the game would know. I was picking up. That was their indicator. Very smart. But you got to make sure that the people you're coaching, now they have scoreboards that work. So they know what inning it is. But you got people that might not even know how many outs there are. They don't even know if they're the home team or the visiting team. And so you, it takes a lot of intelligence. People don't realize that uh, to have baseball actions and communications, etc. So you, you really got to regiment, regiment, and, and get these people self-confidence. And, and also, I always had at least three different ways to say the same thing just in case the first one messed up. And it was basically a signal, a verbal cue, or a coach or an on-deck hitter would have something to do to echo that. And that's how we approached offense. On defense, we had multiple ways of communicating. I mean, I don't think I ever coached... If you come to one of our games, you'll hear Lou yelling his crazy shit. And usually by the first (laughs) inning, the other player, the other coach wants to come across and punch him in the face. Often true. Often true. But I will tell you... Sometimes my, our own players that may yes, have played for you. Yes. In my in my entire career at Montgomery County College, and it was a playoff. It was a regional playoff against Bergen County College of Northern Jersey. I, I couldn't figure out his signals. He had a certain pluck technique, and I always... The plucks are the easiest for me to figure out, and I couldn't figure them out. And then we played... Uh, we met each other in South Carolina uh, the next year. And he changed his signals so I could figure them out. And it, it led to our victory. We lost that playoff game. I'm going, why did he change his signals? So I had a conversation with him without giving away that I knew his signals. I said, I noticed a lot of it. He goes, uh, my players made a lot of mistakes last year. They couldn't remember the signals. So, you know, you change for the players. You change the Your something. daughter's tuned in. Nicole, how are you? A.K.A. Nick at Night. Real quick, uh, Ted Fowler's tuning in down there in Rockport, Texas. And if you listen to the Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast, you would know who Ted Fowler is. Sorry, Lou, keep going. Well, what I'm basically saying is um, signals are very much a part of the game. Stealing signals are very much a part of the game. Decoy. Brax says hello. Brax did? Yes. Uh, Good job, Action Man. And uh, this whole scandal with uh, Major League Baseball... I really feel that more than just the uh, Houston Astros and uh, the Boston Red Sox have done this. I'm willing to say that it's in double digits in the last few years as technology has progressed. The number of teams that have resorted resorted to tactics using electronics. Because they try to steal signals every game. Don't tell people our secrets, Lou. I will not. But I've been very fortunate. In the Perky League, I've been able to decipher... Um, a lot of the coaches just stand there and don't give signals, and some have signals where they walk to different locations. 
of the box. They're the easiest to figure out. Now, uh, there's a lot I want to get to. Before I take our break, a couple names I want to throw out to you that, that you co- that played for you or, or coached with you. Al Porter, Major League umpire. Real quick, one, two minutes, Al Porter. What, give, give me one, two minutes on Al. Al Porter is in this team picture. This is Al Porter right okay. there with the bat. He's the 1998 MVP. Okay. Al played against me. He played for... And what did Al do this past year Horsham in the World Series? Legion. Well, this past year, Al was the home plate umpire in Game 1 of the World Series. Now, how cool is that for you? Oh, it's fantastic coach? because what we did at Montgomery County... Microphone, Lou. We had to raise money. <laughs> we had to constantly... Pat, just push him into the microphone. We, we had to constantly raise money. So what I would do is I would schedule fall games... Uh, for my Fort Washington Legion team and other friends that coached, you know, informal fall games, and I would assign my college players to umpire those games. And that's how they earned money for their uh, southern trip. And then I would introduce them to people like uh, John Kaleli and eventually even people like Nick Chilet, Nick Chiletti. Oh, Chick. Yeah, <laughs> I could have Chick into the podcast. Well, they, they would hire these guys, so they'd be playing in the Pendel or the Perky League, and then a couple nights a week they're umpiring small kids' ball. Well, Al did that, and uh, his uncle, as a gift, um, surprised him with a tuition uh, package to go. Uh, was it Wendelstadt? Who's in Florida? Uh, Hunter Wendelstadt. Uh, I guess that may have been who it was. All okay. I know is he went down there to umpiring school and did extremely well, and they offered him a contract. To come back and umpire in the, uh, I guess, Florida State short season minor league, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he's been in the major leagues, I guess, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And he was in the minor leagues maybe four years. I mean, he, he just elevated. And and when he was in the minor, he came back because he used to participate in my umpire uh, charity clinics as a player. Everybody did that since the mid-90s and whatever. And we have another one coming up. And now he comes back as a teacher, yeah, and that, which is good. Which is always Super Bowl Sunday. If you want to yes. get to, to Wissahickon to, to join that, we'll let you plug that at the, at the yes. end of the program. Uh, a couple other players. So John McClone, who plays for the Northwest Packers. John McClone. How did you find him? Okay, because he wasn't playing baseball. John in McClone college. had a brother. His brother was playing at a four-year college and got injured. His brother was in the workforce, and his brother was coaching Legion ball, and and I knew his brother and. And so I went to see a Legion game, and my college assistant was Denny Dewan, former player, was coaching J.P. Mascaro. And McGlone's older brother, good man, Jason McGlone, was coaching Collegeville. So we talked and whatever, and I said, um, I'd love to have you on my coaching staff at Montgomery. So he joins my coaching staff at Montgomery College, and uh, – I mean, we're doing great, and then all of a sudden, a year later, second season, I don't know when it was, maybe the third season, I, I have his brother, who is a, a freshman who had just graduated, a left-handed ball player also, uh, and he says, my, my other brother is has got two or three years under his belt at Westchester on a soccer scholarship. He starts, but they lied to him. Uh, they told him, you know, when he was first signed, or whatever the deal was, that he could play baseball. But he, of course, would miss fall ball because of soccer. But then the coach changed his mind. The soccer coach said he couldn't, so he's fed up. And he made a comeback after a couple years of college, his first at bat playing for Harleysville in the Perky League, hit a wood bat home run. 
And I said, look, anybody who knows who I am, who is involved in baseball, if you say somebody can play, mm-hmm. I'll take them. Because they have to survive my practices. And real quick, and, and Pep knows in our circle of baseball people, if somebody calls us and says he can play, there's no question he's coming to play for us. Right, Pep? It's kind of that. Absolutely. We, we, there's certain people we trust. And John, uh, John McGlone. Everywhere he's gone, he's been in the middle of everything. He's, he's a winner. He's played on how many teams at Collegeville? How many championships there? Four or five. Four or five. Won a title with us. Won a title with us. Has always had us in contention. The guy plays hurt. Mm-hmm. He'll play with one leg. He'll play with one arm. He does whatever it takes. Future Hall of Famer, definitely, in this league. Uh, now, could you tell us real quick with John, there's, there's a game you guys play. And he does something athletically, and you go, oh, my God, Imagine I've never this. Seen anything like this. 21, 22 years old, super fast, an amazing vertical leap. Um, we were having a fall scrimmage against, it was either Villanova or ten, it was somebody at our field. That's when you bat 15 guys, and he's in center field. And uh, two amazing things happen. Um, he catches a ball shallow, they tag up, and he hurls the ball a little bit too far. We're going to throw the guy out at the plate. The ball goes over the backstop. My backstop's 24 feet high. I mean, I mean, yes, he overthrew the catcher, but I said, holy crap, look at that arm. So, of course, I memorize that because now I know he's moving from left to center. Okay. Um, later in the game, uh, he catches the ball. It's a third out, and everybody's running off the field. Our bench is on a third base side. I see him because there's no protective fence at this time in yeah. front of our bench. I see him sprint forward. And leap in the air over the bench with two, three guys sitting there. They're sitting like this. This six-foot-one dude, full speed, spikes flying. He soars over the air, lands on his feet, walks up to the uh, little stand, and gets a drink of water. And I, I saw that. I go, my God. And nobody else noticed it. I noticed it. I said, what athleticism. This guy, i got to make him good enough to bat lead off. i got to make this guy know that he's going... From first to third on a bunt steal, I got to get this guy stealing. He was one of my best students ever in the game of baseball, and we made arrangements for him to play indie ball. Mm-hmm. And something happened, which you could have made it indie ball, oh, no God. question about it. Non baseball related situation, you know, jobs, money, and all that. Yeah. But he definitely would have been able to play indie ball. He's a very good athlete, tremendous. So he came back a few years later, and for a year. Did what his brother did. He was on my coaching staff. And Good role model. And he's been coaching here and there since then. We'll, we'll get into a lot of the players that have played uh, played for the Newark One Packers that have played for on the other side. Another another player, Andrew Miller, who, uh, and, who is an assistant coach now at Perk Valley, All-American at Salisbury. How did you end up getting Andrew Miller? How did he get overlooked out of high school? Uh, what happened was uh, the Legion coach uh, there at the time was um, – was it Tommy Cardi? Well – the guy that him and his good friend, a guy named Gottlieb, Gottschall, um, they did not get any feelers, but that's because Andrew waited because he's a football linebacker, and he decided late in his senior year not to pursue football. And so, and J- Jason McGlone had coached him, that's right, in Legion, and he was coming uh, eventually to my coaching staff, so he recommended them. And uh, I will tell you, Andrew Miller, a leader, and uh, he played in his two years with me. He pl- just to make sure, sometimes on a whim, he played every position but pitcher. I had him catching. I had, I had him everywhere. Very smart, a high baseball IQ. 
good student. I, we sent him to Salisbury. The coach loved him. Um, All-American, the, the time he was there, he got certified to be a, a, a teacher. And uh, he's not teaching, but I know he's on the baseball and football staff at Perk Valley High School. An amazing competitor. Kind of guy, uh, never panicked. Never panicked. Never panicked. Now, well, actually, there's so much we can get. There's a couple more guys I want to go over. Maybe a couple funny stories from Montgomery County Community College. And then we'll wrap up the show with how did you start bringing players to Greaterford State Prison to play against the prisoners, which I still think is one of the greatest all-time stories I've I've ever heard, which we're going to get to. I did it with Legion and the college team. Okay, we're going to get to that. So we're going to take a quick break, come back more with the legendary coach Lou Lombardo right after this.
This is Emily Addison, and you're listening to the Rob V Radio Show on RobVRadio.com. Bang! There you go. Fuck took, him, yeah. took him seven times, and he's done media his whole life. <laughs> well, well, tell her how many bottles did I have tonight, Dick? <laughs> and we're back on episode 363 of the Rob V Show. Coach Lou hanging out with us. Good to have Coach Lear. Couple things we got to get to that I forgot to mention. Happy birthday, also as an order to the one, the only. Matt Blazinski, one of the leaders of the Northwind Packers. Uh, Pap, what other things we got? Oh, I forgot Al Warner, right? Al Warner turns how old? He'll be 57 years old on Saturday, and he's coming back for his 41st season at Northwind, and he's starting to play in his fifth decade. That's ridiculous. Wow. Amazing. And, I, I can't and, get and over Al that. Al played against my uh, Legion team in the summer of 1980 for uh, under under Coach Hostelli, who the field's named after. That is, isn't that crazy? And, and the thing with Al, he was on the 1990 Perky League Championship team, and he was on the 2017 Perky League Championship team, Endurance. which I think is pretty cool. God bless you, Al, and happy birthday, Blaze. And, Pep, we're also going to get, get something going for the Norgren Packers for a fundraiser. Yes, we're going to do a Super Bowl block pool, which the details will be out the next time we're on, which okay. whenever day you say we're going to come back. Um, we'll give that out then. So... I gotta get Hold up for a second. You got, you, can you give me a minute of you, you talking? Sure, go, go Keep ahead, talking. go ahead. So, go ahead. just to, you know, we've been talking about the, with Coach Lou about things, and Lou's been. How long have you been with us now? Uh, since well, 2016 as an observer. 2016, and you know, it's funny because you know, going through all these years, you always remember like little things. And the one year that we won was 2017, and. Uh, <clears throat> we were up. We were up against two zero against Norristown, or in game three. It was a real tight game. What was it? Two to one. We won or one. Game, which game are we talking about? Game okay. three. It was, yeah, it was a tight game. So we get to the last inning. The guy gets on second base, and uh, oh wait, is this maybe, the, no, this the it, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. It was game two. Game three. I think we won one nothing. Joe Pitts. No, they scored a run. It was two to one. one. Joe Pitts. Joe Pitts the whole game. So. This is probably game one or game two. So Lou does all that stuff. Howling, you know, John Wayne Gacy, Skylab, Son of Sam. Skylab! Skylab! Son of Sam. Lou, do it once for us. You know, go ahead, Lou. Give us one. Gomez on the big Rodrigo. Ham and eggs, Ralph. So whatever that means. So I'm hearing it all year. 2017, I'm hearing this stuff all year, year before. So whatever game it was, one or two, we bring Chuck Delgol in, who played for Lou. Another Mo- knows County all product. the ins and outs of what Lou does and all, and you know, I, I, during the games, I'll pace back and forth in the dugout. All you see is my head like going back and forth. So we have a, they have a runner on second base, and I'm like, all right, Lou, go ahead and holler something. We got to get that guy off second <laughs> go base. Ahead, go ahead, holler something. So he goes, I don't know what he said. He said Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Iran, Iraq, whatever. And he wheels around, Chuck wheels around, gets the guy off second base. He's out. I'm still pacing back and forth. I come back. I'm like, way to go, Lou. <laughs> and that's one of the things that won that championship for us. There's like little things like that. Well, someone, some people complain that our coaching staff is too large. <laughs> but Well, everyone, I could lose some weight, but that's besides well, Yeah, I could lose yeah. weight too. But everybody has their own little piece. Like all my stuff gets done right now in the offseason. I coach first base just to have fun. Right, Pepsi, maestro of everything. Lou's sitting there, 
you know, looking over signs, maybe stealing them or writing them down. Chuck Dallagall's looking at, you know, a pitcher's technique and whatnot. And then you, you put the whole, mm-hmm. you know, you put the whole puzzle together of, of what you got to do. Now, I'm going I'm to get into, towards the end of you getting into the Perky League, but two, two guys I want to go over real quick at Monco, and then maybe give me one or two crazy Monco stories, and then we'll get, in the, we'll get into the you and the Perky League, and then we'll get to Graterford. Uh, so, of course, Christian Militello, the reason I'm in baseball is because of Christian. So, quick synopsis, two minutes of Christian. We know he's a player for you, then he becomes a coach. What, uh, give, give me two minutes of Christian Militello. I'll tell you what, Christian Militello is a competitor, but he's extremely cool and level-headed. I never saw him. Level-headed? I never saw him lose his temper. Oh, you know, that's a good point. He is level-headed because every time we'd get that second-place trophy, I was like, take that trophy and fucking break it in half. <laughs> he's like, what? It's second place. I'm like, I don't settle for second place, Christian. <laughs> Just remember. I love you, Christian. Who put the curse on him on that particular day? Okay, we're not going to go okay. through this on my All show. Right, I learned my lesson. Okay. I lived from it. And then I go and I want a Perky League title. But yes, keep going. Absolutely. And uh, Let's not bring the show down. It's been on such a high. <laughs> Christian did a good job. He was primarily a catcher for me. We transferred him to Eastern U, and he set a record for home runs hit by a catcher at Eastern U. And he was the first catcher. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm still cool. I'm still he cool. He was everything. And, uh, and then eventually um, I asked him when he was available, come back and join my coaching staff. He was outstanding, and he was able to work that out about the same time that he had his paint business and then the trophy store and then back to his major company right now. Uh, Militello, I guess, Enterprise. Militello paying in power washing. When yeah. he's not paying in power washing, he's going to Arizona for power washing conventions to try to find the new power washer 6000. That will move on to one of the big supporters of the program, uh, the outfitter of the program, owner of jackets and things, the one and only John Ruggs Ruggiero. Quick two, one, two minutes on Ruggs. Ruggiero Ruggiero. I had him in history class. He played Legion ball for me, and then he played um, college ball for me, came back. And was on the Legion coaching staff and the college coaching staff. Another level-headed gentleman, another catcher. And There's a pattern here. Yeah, Denny Dewan was a catcher. Is Blaze level-headed? I think Blaze is pretty level-headed. <laughs> he, he has his quirks in between innings now and then. But, yeah, level-headed. You know, sees the whole game, understands it, doesn't panic. That's very important, especially as opposed to certain left-handers with a professional background. Okay, let's not go down. Oh, that road. No, let's no, not go down no. that road. Now, uh, real quick, give me because when we we went out to dinner, uh, the coaches uh, right before Christmas, and you started launching in the stories. So, give me one or two interesting uh, Montgomery County stories. Maybe a road trip that went haywire. Maybe you walked into a bar and it wasn't what you thought it was. Uh, <laughs> and maybe there's another story where one of your players uh, may have got arrested. Uh, on the way to a game, and the police uh, maybe showed up at your college, or maybe right, something along those lines. I'll go with that particular story. It was sometime in the 1990s. We have two vans loaded up. We a little close to the microphone. We have my uh, there you go. my pickup truck is loaded up. We're going uh, south, uh, south, uh, Northern Virginia and Maryland. It's a weekend. We're going to play back-to-back doubleheaders against a couple of teams. It's probably 7:30 a.m. It is a early April Saturday morning because we've got to get somewhere and play a double header. And uh, all of a sudden, two police vehicles come off of Cathcart Road. One blocks the exit that I want to go through, and the other one drives in the other way and comes out and gets my attention. I get out of the vehicle. I happen to know the, the officer, and he says, 
uh, Lou, I think we have a problem. We have to check on something. But do you have a so-and-so on your team? And I say, well, yes, I do. He goes, well, we have a little bit of a problem. Uh, the so-and-so uh, may, have, uh, may have robbed the convenience store gas station right there on the corner of blah, blah, <laughs> blah, blah. I go, you got to be kidding me. What do you mean? What makes you think that? He goes, well, it's on camera. I saw the video <laughs> thing, and he was wearing his uniform, and you got their last names on the back. And I go, you got to be kidding me. Well, well, what did he take? A carton of cigarettes. I go, well, I don't allow smoking. I'm trying everything, you know, to get out of this. I go, listen, let me deal with this situation. I, you know, I will definitely penalize him. And, so uh, you almost have, you almost talked your way out of a well, guy robbing a, a gas station. The, the police officer agreed it would be a good idea that um, we stop there on the way down. It was my idea. And that this guy would give him 10 or as many hours as he wanted of janitorial services. You know, of course, I would be benching him, whatever. And he goes, you know, that's a, that's a good constructive idea. He can learn his lesson. But as a formality, I got to run a background. He went on the radio. He comes back and goes, Coach, I got to arrest him. <laughs> I go, what do you mean you got to arrest him? He's got bench warrants out of Pottstown. Got to watch out for those people in Pottstown. And uh, uh, like 10 days later, his grandfather came by, returned the uniform, and I didn't see him for 12 years. Nice guy, married, kids, everything worked out. But I didn't know that was his background. You know? <laughs> You didn't check. You just wanted I, to know if he was going to go to class and if he could play. Yeah, and this was in the 90s. They, you know, they didn't have computers. It was different in the 90s. It was different, it was a, it was different times. It was a different Pep time. Pep tells us things in the 90s, which I can't repeat on the air in the dugout. You know, it was different times in the 90s, right, Pep? We Pep, can't talk about we that. We can't talk years. about that. Yeah. But that was a good story. Um, so the other story I, I may want to get to, you were, I think, John Ruggiero might have been with you. Uh, you were up uh, in uh, Oneonta, New York. And uh, you were there for it. I guess was it was it a tournament or was it? A... It was with the Legion team. Okay. Um, and it was funny because I went up there three years and actually bought, brought a recruit back. Okay. And got him enrolled. There was a lady in North Wales. It was a widow married to an ex judge, and she would okay. take in all kinds of students. And I she took in a couple ball players and was great. Uh, but what happened was, um, it was like play four games in like three days and whatever and. So we're done all day playing games. We go back to our little Motel 6 type of scenario. And I tell the guys, get in the vans. We're going to go down a little town like a mile away. I'm going to give you your meal money. Great high school sports, by the way, Oneonta. My best friend's dad went there. A lot of great athletes came out of Oneonta. But keep going. I can believe that. Yeah. Because it was a minor league baseball field. is where we were playing. It was the home field of the single A New York Yankees at the time. And so, so we can, I give out the meal money and people go where they're going to go. And, uh, and what happened was, uh, somebody gave us a tip. That's a good bar restaurant to go to. So me and the, me and the, the four coaches, have you we, heard the story before Pep? We, we go into this place, not this one. No. And, uh, I don't notice right away, but there's about five, six TVs up there. It's baseball season. There's no baseball being played. There's some soccer and there's some weird stuff up but I still don't notice and we're blah blah we ordered some stuff and whatever then I noticed that like there's a lot of men in this place and they're wearing real skimpy shorts you know it's like it did have the name blue in it and so one of, my, one of my coaches comes from the pool room and he goes yo something's weird back there there's these uh, these ladies are you know they're playing billiards but they all got Big bushy armpit hairs oh. and whatever. Oh. I walk back there and I walk up and I find out, lo and behold, 
uh, we're in a particular um, establishment, but demographically, we don't we don't exactly fit in. But it was a gay bar. It was uh, well, it was a, it was more than it was like a weird place, though. I heard that Rug stayed, though. I, I heard he said, "I'm staying. I'm well, going to finish my beer." He may have, <laughs> but what made me have to step out? I look out the window, and across the way was a something called the the Neptune something something. It was a strip bar, and I remember seeing in there that. The lady that owned it was 80-some years old, and she was the bouncer, okay? Oh, boy. And the, and the dancers were, like, in their 50s. Fact. And I see, like, four or five uh, of my athletes walking out of this place. And one of them in the group is my son. He's, like, 17 years old. It's the first time, second time I'm coaching him, right? And, uh-oh, I run across the street, and they had been there long enough to just gawk, but they didn't get served or anything. They were told they had to leave and, and I peek in, and, and it was like an evil Knievel red, white, and blue outfit that this lady was wearing. And even the wig was crooked. And, I mean, it looked like her dentures were flipping in and out. I said, oh, my God. Sounds kind of hot. If this was their first experience, um, the lady had to be pushing 60 years of age. And I said, and I handled it very easily. Let's go. We got to move out of here. Let's go. Go down to that burger place and blah, 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 and whatever. So, you know, at the same night, the next day we split. Now, before we get into the, the Graterford stuff, a uh, couple, couple quick things. So, you know, you coach Legion Ball, you win there. You go to Monco, you win there. You get players drafted. Uh, you know, some go to the minors, some want to make it to the major leagues, uh, uh, umpire, a lot of different things, a lot of success. So as you're winding down your coaching career, I'm still at Lansdale. I'm going over to Norgwine. I'm having some success with Pep. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> having, you know, your players again, the Coach Lou Pipeline, the Chuck Delegals. You know, the Eric Lewandowski's, you know, the John McGlone's, the list goes on and on. And I, I'm in here, I'm like, hey, Lou, you, you've done everything, but you haven't coached in the Perky League. And That's you true. would say to me, I've always wanted to do it, but the wife, you know, I've been coaching so long, the summer, she won't let me coach the summer. And then we get to the summer of 20, I think it was 2017, I said, Lou. It was 2016. 2016. I started to come around. Come around. Bring, yes, as much as I could. I, you invited me in the dugout a few times and said... While you're here, can you steal a signal or yeah. two? And I, and I did. I maybe uh, you know half the now whenever I could. And I had the grandkids. When we and that to. was the beginnings of we had the team we finally wanted. I got there was the big coup in the league that that 2016. I got Jason Mills and John McGlone to come over to Norgwan. Those are like the two pieces mm-hmm. that we needed to get us over the hump. And, well. and that's they're still a huge part of the team today. So and I'm sitting there with you. I go Lou. I go, you've, you've now coached in the Perky League, but you know what you've never done? You go, what? I'm like, you've never won a Perky League title. And true. You, and we stand there and we go, you know what? Sure, I've, I've never done that before. Maybe Wouldn't that be nice if, if we could get that accomplished? Wouldn't that be something? And lo and behold, we win the Perky League title. Now, you've done a lot of things, but I know that was kind of something you didn't think you'd ever do. No, never thought that. I would even never thought about it. It was exciting. It was fun. It really was, and was very fun in that the whole time that Perky season. Um, I've known those guys throughout that for years because I, I I funneled so many people into the league, and there's a lot of people in that Hall of Fame uh, that either played Legion or college ball for me. So go way back, guys in their late fifties. I just remember the first time Vince Elsier saw me in uniform. Vince Elsier, head, well, was, former head coach in Norristown, yes. won I don't know how many Perky League oh, titles in the Perky League Hall of Fame. Very successful. And we're talking to He goes, now, Lou, Lou, you're not going to talk that crazy stuff, are you? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. He goes, 
you're not being serious. And so as the game went on at their field, it was the third inning. Goes, now, for those of you who don't know, the, the third base dugout is by the away team's dugout. And so Vince was always – he's right there. He's literally within two, three feet of us out of our bench. Go ahead. And he couldn't take it. He goes, stop, stop. You're driving me – and, of course, I knew Vince had a very successful reputation – of kind of intimidating, uh-huh. very. And I said, "Well, that's not going to work with me," you know. And I had all, I had his, <laughs> I had his signals. He didn't come out the next inning. He was so. I see him in a dugout, chain smoking. I was having, a, I was having a conniption. Of, I said, "This is fun." This now is- I remember the one thing you told me. You're at Monco. You know, you you weren't always fortunate to have the Andrew Millers, the John McGloins. A lot of times, you might have one blue chip player. Yeah. So you would have to coach. The player at every every little thing, the at bat, what to do because you didn't have the talent that you would always want on your team, you know. So you'd have to coach it. When you came to us, I remember you're sitting in our dugout one time. I don't know what it was, and you're shaking your head. And you're like, "There's Jason Mills. He played for the Eras. There's Matt Blazinski. He played overseas. You know, there. You know, there's John McGlone. There's you know you, Eric Lewandowski, and you go and uh, Dave Tatoin. You go through all the guys, Michael Knight, and you're sitting there. And you're like, "I've never had this before." I go, "What do you mean?" I go, "What do you mean?" I go, Rob, imagine trying to cook a gourmet meal and you don't have all the all the necessary food items that you need to do it. He's like, here, I can just sit here and coach because I got the full complement and menu True. of all Americans, uh, people in their high school hall of fames, former minor Ooh, leaguers. Yeah. Hey, what were you gonna say, Pat? Daryl, don't forget Daryl. Oh, of course, Daryl Clark, double A offensive player Joe of the year. Harris. Joe Harris, Joe Harris just, just came in. You go through all our players, all the former minor leaguers, and you would sit there and you go, "This is amazing." Yeah. All I can, all I have to do is coach. I don't have to explain to Joe Harris what to do. Right. I don't have to explain to Matt Blazinski how to call a game. I don't have to tell Daryl Clark what kind of ball to look for when he's when he's swinging at a, you yeah. know an O two count or a full count. They know what to do, and you could just sit there and go, "Oh, this is you would go, I can yeah. coach. Yeah. I can just coach." And he's like, "Man, look, they did it." Because you had the ingredient. I knew you got a yeah. kick out of that. Because you didn't that. always had that right. where you had – it was like having a super team I mean, with all the talent we had. We would have – Still have. We, my, my, always had myself surrounded with good staff, good coaches, assistants. Some were former players a couple times. Chuck Gallagher Sr. Yeah. Or they were people that had coached against me and came back years later. And we would have all the opponent's signals. We would know what they were going to do. We'd pitch out. And fire a perfect throw to second base on a steal and drop the ball. Or we would call for a pitch out and the kid's going to get a late jump and the pitch out would go over to catcher's head. You know, so it's all about execution. With Norgwin and the personnel that Pep and Radio Rob have gathered, there's a high percentage of success with execution. And what's amazing about it is I, I call the league uh, the PPP League. <laughs> The, the, the Perky Park and Play League, because those guys are running from various jobs. They go out in the outfield. The only thing some guys can't do, we've had guys quit. I can't. I can't just show up and play. It takes a certain yeah. kind of person to do it. And I said, well, you guys got to stretch at least. You got to, you know, you, and that you can see the guys with a professional background, a college background, and some of whom even coach, like you're coaching youth sports and Jason Mills, and they set a good example for it. Because I tell the college kids, no shortcuts. You do everything your college coach expects you to do before a game. So we don't have time. Liam, are you listening? Liam, I hope you're listening. <laughs> I, I, I don't know he's, if he's, he's not on tonight. I know, but I wish he was we, listening. We don't have time for infield outfield drills. I mean, they go in the tunnel, and they, whoever can, they do their bat, 
you know, their, their batting practice. But that, that arm, it is so important for that arm to properly warm up and for the hamstrings because you know at that age. And so to see those guys going through a whole routine and then sharing what to do, and sometimes they only have 15, 20 minutes to be, that is important. And that is vital. And to see a lot of these guys mature doing it on their own. A little closer to the microphone. Doing it on there their you own. Go. I mean, that that's the difference. That's Well, what's, what's great about our team and probably great about uh, the Collegeville team is you got these guys that basically police themselves. Right. And when you have that on your team, that's – that's a huge bonus right there. Lou, were you were you at the uh, Plymouth game we played? It was a rescheduled game in the afternoon on Sunday. We ended up scoring like 16, no, 17 runs. Well, you always talk about how you have to stretch and you have to get things ready and all that kind of stuff. Well, Darrow and Blaze were late getting to the game, so we had to put subs in. And literally, as Blaze's spot's coming up, he's coming into the parking lot. And that loser's like, yo, you got to prepare. you gotta, you got to do this. Blaze, Pep, you remember this? Blaze, I think there's we had we had bases loaded. Bases loaded. <laughs> Blaze literally jumps out of his car, runs, hops the fence. As everyone's like waiting, like really we're gonna wait for Matt. Matt's putting the stuff on as quick as he can. Goes up, takes a pitch, fouls was off, <laughs> hits a grand slam. Right. I mean, literally out of his car, over the fence, into the box, boom! We got four no runs. No batting gloves, no, no nothing. No batting gloves, no nothing. I, mean, I wish that had been videotaped. <laughs> Took about six weeks to get around the bases. That's okay. Yeah. Vince is yelling. <laughs> Flip the, flip the, the bat in the Germantown yeah. Pike. Yeah, you know, those. You know, I always say I've said this on the show a lot, I'm, and I might bring the Perky League podcast back during the season where we kind of go over the scores and whatnot. Do a fifteen minute show, but you could do a movie or write a book on the Perky League. The characters. Oh yeah. You know the, where you play the stories. There's and there's there's so many stories with the league. We really should. There should be. I don't know what we could do, but you you just go to a game. You never know what you're going to see. Whether it's the fans. Whether it's the players, there's always something, especially as it gets later in the season, or you get into the playoffs, it gets very well, nationally, competitive. You've got Mike Piazza spent time in the league. Jamie Moyer mm-hmm. spent time in the league. Yep. I mean, there's other guys that were fringe or had short uh, pro careers. The league's been around since uh, 1915, mm-hmm. and and there there are a lot of good ball players. And I think the fact that there's a web page and and there's a I think uh, Lou's getting. I mean, Pepke's getting text over there. I mean, Pep is the vice president of the league. Craig Clark, Craig Clark said it should be a book or reality show. It should because people wouldn't believe it. All the stuff that goes on. True. And the stories in the dugout, which I can't mention, are hilarious from yeah. some of our players that played the minors. True. The one story we can't mention. There's no. a lot of stories we can't we mention. We can get arrested for that in, <laughs> in 2019 or 2020. I'm sorry. But the, the stories alone are, are phenomenal in the Perky League, and we always try to promote the league as much as we can. But And again, we go back to having your players come play for me. We always had that pipeline. We had the yes. Monco pipeline of guys. And I went through John McGlone, Chuck Delegall, uh, Eric Lewandowski. You had the Golden Boy, Griffith, and Garcia. That's right. Yeah. They were, they yeah. were uh, yeah. what, tw- 2000? That goes back to 2009 yeah. with those guys. And they did a, a great job. But he, Lou has his... His, you know, his stamp on a, a lot of people and, and that have played Ambler in this Rebels. league. The Ambler Rebels used to use my field. They were Am- Norgwen, Lansdale, and the Ambler Rebels and Trooper. Because for twice, for a couple of years, the, whoever coached Trooper was a former either player or assistant of mine. They were very receptive. And then what would happen is I'd go see a game. And Norristown might have five or six of my former players, but they didn't start at Norristown. They were, after two or three years in the Perky League, um, I guess they were auditioning. They were 
taken away. Who would do something like that in this and day I, and age? And I'm going, that kid played for me at Fort Washington. He played at Amber. That guy played at Lansdale under Rob. He's not there anymore. And talk about the ability to pull out of the league and, and like, stack the deck kind of, if you know what I mean. But you guys have combated that very well the last five years. Well, we I always said to Pep and I said to Christian, you find whoever is the best at doing something. Now, obviously, years and years it was Carl at Collegeville. And but a lot when I was there, mainly Vince, right? And then and then Carl would come along later and win all those titles, and they won titles before that. But I would sit there and we would get our we we get to the finals two years in a row, and we get our asses kicked by Norristown. And I would sit there and I go, Christian, what are we? What are they doing that we're not doing? He's like, well, they can just get better players. I go, well, you got to get better players. And I would try to drill that into him. And we would get a couple. We get we get a, we get a handful of really good players, and we go to the finals two years in a row, which is phenomenal. And then when I went over with Pep, I brought some of your guys over. We go to Norgwen. And then I'm like, whatever Vince did, I'm going to do. And what that is, it's networking. With anything, it's networking. It's knowing as many baseball people as humanly possible, trusting their judgment, and then getting them to trust you to send them their players or have them say, hey, come over to play for Norgwen. And I think over the last six, seven years, we've been able to accomplish that where we can go get a former minor leaguer. A guy that right. might get drafted, that can come play for us. Or we can get a guy that started in college and say, listen, you're not necessarily going to start, but you're going to be on the bench for us. And then that, that helps our depth. And then a guy like Shane Maneri, who Shane came over from Kenny Devaney at LaSalle. We didn't know much about him. And like you said, if somebody calls you that you know says he can play, he's on your team. Kenny calls me and Pep, this kid can play. He shows up, we can play a game at the first game at Collegeville, that SOB, it's two home runs. Me and Pep look at each other Impressive. and we go, again, it's that, it's that baseball thing. People you trust, if they say somebody can play, right. you know, you, know you, you trust them, they can play. Yes, Pep. And Dave DeToyan, another player. <laughs> Paul Murphy calls me How in the wintertime. Dave winter time. has not got drafted, I have no Paul idea. Paul Murphy calls me during the winter. He's like, yeah, he's like, I got a guy for you. He's like, what's second base? Like I was telling him, you know, we're up in the air about it. We might put this guy. To, he said, listen, I got a second baseman for you. He say, just put down with everything you're doing. Put the newspaper down. Turn the TV off. <laughs> he gives us Dave Detoyan, and he's been with us four years, I think. Yeah, he's yes, well, his whole college career. He has the hitting record uh, at Gwinnett. Yes, he, he the guy, he's a D one player. The guy's a beast. Yeah, he. Oh, had, we he have had, we have breaking news. John Ruggiero has joined the broadcast. Rugs, we were talking about when Ruggiero, how are you? When you guys were up in Oneonta, New York. And you may have been at a gay bar, and I think you stayed there for a little bit too long, and you had a couple cocktails, and you really enjoyed yourself, Ruggs. Sorry, he didn't hear that story, so I wanted to chime that in. Sorry. Uh, but, you know, again, we, I'm just going uh, – I was going on a tangent here. But, again, the networking with players and what Vince was doing, you got to go get the best – however you get it, you have to go recruit the best talent. And I think the last six, seven years – now, every year it hasn't gone the way we wanted. You know, we losing the finals last year. we missing a lot of our pitchers. we losing the second round. But I can honestly say going into this year, in the last several years, Norgwen always has a legitimate shot. It's not like a pipe dream that we can right. win the Perky League Championship. It's, it's going to be probably, again, it'll be College obviously. They won the title last year. Ambler, us, Lansdale. It's usually about four, four teams that legitimately have a chance – to win a title. And I tried to tell the... Valley uh, Forge. Val well, I'll get to Valley Forge in a second. Valley Forge is a good team. I'm not saying they're not. But now that I'm... I can't believe I'm the elder statesman now in the league. Because I think I've been in the league 13 years now. God bless Which you. is a long time. After Pep, after Joe, uh, after Vince and Carl, I think I am the longest tenured person in the league now. But 
what I've learned as you're never one thing you won't do in the Perky League, you won't win with all college players. It, right. it will not happen. You need four or five stud college players, and then fill it in with stud X minor leaguers. As far as I know, and Pep, you can stop me. Lou, you can stop me. There's never been a young team, and that's why I'm not knocking Valley Forge, and I'm not 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 knocking not knocking the other great like Gablesville's a good young team. There's a lot of good young teams, but if you don't have that, a lot of those old veterans, you're not going to win. Am I wrong? There's no, never been right. a, a young team that's that's won it. There's been a balance. There's been a balance, or or you have a core of guys in their uh, mid late twenties who were very successful college players who might be a high school coach or a college assistant, so they're able to stay in shape all year and Somewhere. come back with their you know, seven, eight years' experience. And then you have you, know, you and Pep attracting guys at, out of the independent minor leagues or uh, guys who were in the uh, traditional minor leagues. You have Clark, he was a triple-A player. With, mm-hmm. you know, San Francisco Giants. Yeah, so, and they're, they're scattered throughout the league, and they're willing to come back and have conversations and help the younger guys. Which is key, you're right. Oh, hold on, we're getting a phone call. We we weren't taking phone calls, but we'll take one. Who are you? Where are you calling from? I am I am a former player of Coach Lou Lombardo <laughs> from some time ago when he was a JV coach after Queen of Peace. After Queen of Peace. So this was in Upper Dublin? Yes. Was it the 70s or the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> 80s. Oh, goodness. I think I knew who this is, but you can, you can go, Lou. God, the 1980s. I know who it is. I know who it is, too. I'm not recognizing the voice. Can we you... have to watch what we say. We could get maybe fined or something through the Perky League, so there's a hint for you. It's I, go- I, I know. It, is this, this is Elgata Sucro. Uh, this is Jose the Cat Man, an amazing young man who <laughs> I remember approaching. It was around 1982-ish and said, uh, Joe Cat. I think you're going to be a very successful catcher, but I'm a shortstop. I think you're going to be a very successful catcher. And one of the secrets <laughs> to you becoming a successful catcher, I want you to collect soda cans. I was smart not to say oh, yeah. beer cans. And he did amazing <laughs> drills with these soda cans, and he was highly successful as a catcher all the way through Bloomsburg University. Uh, Joe, you'd be happy to hear that the last 20 minutes, I think we've been getting, been giving a very good commercial for the Perky Omen Valley Twilight League. Very nice. Very nice. I, I wanted to hear about Greatersford. Has that conversation gone? I was no, that is, that, is, that is coming up next. That is, that is coming up probably in two or three minutes. So if you stay tuned, you'll hear it. So, so I don't know what kind of language I can use on, on the air. You can, you can do whatever you want. Show. It's not FCC regulated, Joe. You can say whatever you want. So, so, Lloyd, make sure you talk about Shitface Eddie and the guys under the blanket up in the top bench. <laughs> wearing the makeup, right? Uh, wearing the makeup. It was just like the longest in the water that nobody wanted to drink because we were thirsty. <laughs> well, how about the, the concrete uh, men's room behind home plate, right? Remember that? <laughs> With guys guarding the it door? A, it was just a... It, <laughs> There were some good times, some good reasons to go to that that place beyond just playing baseball. Beyond playing baseball. Joe, why don't we look into playing the Perky League All-Star Game in Craterford this year? Jeez. The umpires back then, three umpires, $2 a man. <laughs> no, two cigarettes. <laughs> well, listen, Joe, we're going to get the Craterford momentarily. Thank you for calling in. And since I have you on the line, I think I'll talk to you about it. Since I now have all this stuff set up, 
I may bring back the Perky League podcast uh, in the summer once a week, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. So I, I might bring it back. I'll talk to you about it, but I, I think it may make an appearance back during the, the 2020 season. Absolutely. And, Louis, congratulations on your Hall of Fame. Well, thank you very buddy. much, Joe. Thanks for being part of it as a player and as a coach. And now, you guys, enjoy your night. Keep keep it up. All right, Joe. I'll see you. My best to Monica. There you go. The um, he is the uh, the president of the Pergamon Valley Twilight, like the one and the only Joe Catanzaro. Uh, now, real quick, um, where, where the hell were we? Were talking about uh, just just more in general with players, Perky League, what it is, the networking you have to do to win, how to how, how I kind of we tried to model it after what Vince did, and now you know Joe foreshadowing or a tease in the business. We'll get right into it. I want to save the best for last. So now, episode two or three, God, this is episode 363, mm. um, you called in and you told me a story, and to this day, I still tell people, and Joe foreshadowed it, and I, I shake my head, when did this happen that you got the idea, you said, you know what, I am going to take my Legion team and college team to Graterford State Penitentiary to play the prisoners. Now, for those of you that aren't from the Pennsylvania area, that are maybe in California, Texas, you know, Miami, Graterford is a maximum maximum security prison about 35 minutes, 40 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Bernard Hopkins did time there. It's it's not it's not a country club prison. It's a maximum oh, no, security it's, prison. Two plus years and there's a lot of yeah. There, when, last time I went there, there was 23 guys on death row. So, and we'll get into the lifers. <laughs> yeah. So, how does this? What year is it? And how do you first get wind? You know what? I think I'm going to take my players to Graterford to play the prisoners. Actually, um, I don't remember who the commissioner was, but he reached out to us. It was 1976, and they had had a team at Graterford playing uh, Perky teams. And Legion. So any, Perky teams had gone yes. to Graterford. Yeah. There you go, Pep. Let's bring it back. Uh, going back. Let's do it. Perky League teams at Graterford. Let's well, hashtag it. Let's, some, some of the players we might have to leave behind. But <laughs> yeah. uh, some of them well, might be like, wait a second. You should stay here. That was a great recruiting here. avenue. <laughs> but um, it went back to the 1930s, the late 30s. And uh, what happened was, so I, I made the arrangements. We went up there to play. So they reached out to you. Indirect. They reached out to Leeds. Because they so is this the Legion they, team or is this the this top? is my Legion team it was okay. 1976. So you get an e- you get a, a letter in the mail, you get a phone uh, call. They our commissioner was contacted and said, yeah, they the, the warden calls uh, indirectly. <laughs> okay, it, you got to go call. through a whole protocol. And so we went up there and went through all the uh, the steps of getting in, and we're out on the field, and the inmates are out, and all of a sudden a nasty thunderstorm. Came. Well, before before we get to that, so they call you. And say, listen, I want you to come come to the prison. I want I want your Legion team to come play the prisoners. Do you sit there and go, even in nine? What, what year is this? 70, 76. 76. Do you go? I don't. This, is this a good idea? Well, I knew Jeff Huddleston, who I was an assistant basketball coach, had played there previous years. I knew a couple guys in the nineteen sixties and seventies, either as coaches or players, had gone there to play ball. So I asked some questions, and so. You know, we, we did everything we were supposed to do. And, of course, a little closer to it, it's definitely an experience go. for uh, 17 and 18-year-olds, you, you know, go. because they they get pat-downs at that time. And uh, also, um, you know, they, they had just introduced wand technology of some type. Um, you sign in, all this and that. They put a wristlet, a wrist bracelet on now, you. Now, before you got there, did, you, did the kids have to tell their parents 
hey, I'm going to the prison. Can you sign this permission slip? You know what? There was no permission slips. <laughs> oh. so, so you just no told, waivers. So, no, so no, you just no, told no, the kids, no, hey, no guys, waivers. you said, you, did you have a team meeting? Listen, guys, we're going to go play in prison. It, it was on the schedule. Um, <laughs> it just put, you didn't even tell me. You just, you just put Graterford Prison? Graterford SCI. Now, did anybody, did any of the kids ask what this was? Um, well, the, I, my, uh, my African-American player who went on to the major leagues was quite concerned. He, he really didn't want to go because he said he had two uncles in there. And, okay. uh, but we did go. And unfortunately, right as the game was getting started, massive rain. Now, m- the majority of the field is dust and gravel. Now, were the kids scared going into a, this? A little bit. They were a little bit scared. And also, what added to the frightening, we were slightly delayed because all these alarms went off. In other words, you go in there wearing your spikes. You go in there dressed. Um, I wasn't allowed to bring a, ever a med kit in and various other things like that. And they inspect your equipment bag or whatever. And so we go through the proper passage. And it's funny, the six or seven times I went there, be different errors, different times, entered a different part of the prison every time. It was like uh, some kind of game they were playing. In that particular time, we, we all walked on this concrete slab and gates open. We're still inside the prison. Everybody gets into the next area. The gates close behind us. And all of a sudden, all these alarms go off. And all of a sudden, the gates open. Guys come running in with a gurney. And by coincidence, there's like six or seven doorways Solid steel doors with just a little peephole with bars. I guess they're for the super bad guys. And a door flies open. They go in. They pull a guy out. He's definitely dead. He's definitely dead. They put him on the gurney. Do the kids see this? Yeah. The ones. <laughs> now the, yeah, they saw it. And, this and, wouldn't fly today. No, it wouldn't fly today. And I'm right there. I'm right there like six feet away. And one of the guards, I, I don't know. Let's say the guy's name was Charlie. He goes, well, Charlie finally pulled it off. He's a goner. <laughs> And I, lo and behold, we find out that this was a medical area. And this guy was, he wasn't taking his drugs. He let him build up, apparently, and took like two weeks supply. Oh, once. And then, boom, he ended it. And my guys see that. They see the arm dangle from under the blind. Talk about life lessons right oh, off the bat. And they're going, now we, we, now we continue to walk on con- steel spikes on concrete. Ba-ching, 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 at least 100 feet. The door is... Swing open. Now we got to go down these busted up concrete steps down into right field, and now we go to our bench area. And the other teams out there working out, there's nobody there. And about the time the game is eventually going to start, alarms, and the alarms were never the same, like different bell tones. And all these dudes come out. And and by game time, there was five, 600 guys there. Uh, it started to rain. All right. We, we couldn't play the game. It got really bad. So let's go. I can't remember exactly. We'll go a couple years ahead. Nice day. Still my Legion team. Go through a process similar, but a different entrance way. And when these alarms went off, it was like every half inning. And by the fourth inning, there's two, 3,000 inmates in the yard. All around the, 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 the concrete bricks, uh, stone walls. They're everywhere. And describe the different factions. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, now, I don't remember. Some of these stories are going to blend together. Some happened more than once. I remember that my outfielders were quite concerned that there was a half a dozen guys with blankets uh, laying on the outfield grass, took their shirts off, and they were sunbathing. 
I think Rugs. <laughs> I think Rugs was with you. He may have been. And he he said something like, "There was guys on the in the back. I think they were there was windows, so they were in their cell." Saying, "Hey, forty five, I want to get you in the ass, forty five. Rugs likes uh, to bring that part up. That was uh, there was a short right field porch, and then it went up like a grassy hill, and then there was a fence with curly barbed wire, and then there was more cells, and that was your prep cell. Apparently, they like to cell. Yeah, they like to have two guys to a cell. These had three and four waiting for vacancies to appear so they could get into the regular prison. And they were nuts. And it was only about a 270-foot poke to where that fence was, but it was a slope of dirt that went up about six feet, and then there was a fence and the curly. So even though it was only about 270, it was about an 18-foot high and, of course, one of their guys did put one out there, and so did one of our guys. And what happened was, you can know for a fact that the majority of those guys that were sunbathing were the Aryan race dudes. Because <laughs> in one of our events, a stone fight broke out, and we got a half a dozen guys behind my bench, which is just, you know, there's no dugout. It's just movable, big wood block benches painted green, and they're hiding behind my bench, hurling rocks. <laughs> Across the infield <laughs> at another group of dudes, and I, I can't remember who they were. And, of course, you hear click, click. That's all these shotguns in the town. All right, that stopped that fiasco. Then there was the time where, uh, again, I can't remember if this was a college game or if this was a Legion game, but um, we're about to start the game, and the catcher is not wearing a chest protector. He's wearing shin guards, a mask, but under his mask is a ski mask. It's pulled all the way down, and all you can see is his eyes or his lips. And I'm going, this ain't going to fly. I know why he's doing this, because we had that little fake bunt and this and that, and he's not wearing it, and he's going to raise hell. My guys are going to be, and I go, you can't play like that. And, I, and the umpires are all inmates, and <laughs> they're getting $2 a game. The other coach at the time, I know, so it was somewhere in the 80s, his name was Marty Capassa. And he was from Upper Darby, and he was the head coach, and he had fought Big John Tate for the heavyweight championship of the world. This was about the time uh, that Ali stepped down, and Holmes was trying, everybody's trying. Okay, so he was a respected dude, and he knew his baseball. And he go, what do you mean? What's wrong with him wearing that? I said, no, I need him to be exposed. The guy, the catcher says, Coach Lou, you were here last year. I'm not taking a ski mask off. You're not reading my mind this year. <laughs> so the ski mask was designed to be a barrier so that he, he thought I was reading his brain and I knew what pitches <laughs> he was going to And I said, are you serious? Also, one of those years, I would give out our program. I bring 30, 40 program books up. You know, the lineup, the players, where they're from. You put their numbers on there, too, so the prisoners could call well, them? Well, we had last names. Call and collect from Graterford. And, and they had last names <laughs> on the back of their jersey. And John was, Ruggiero. There was always a scorekeeper who always did everything wrong. Because every inning, we'd go over, and it, everything was wrong. And then a guy who would stand up on a chair with an orange um, turnpike cone. And he'd be announcing. He'd stand up, and, of course, it was all muffled. And who's ever named? Now batting. You know, now batting. <laughs> Anthony DeBrain, you know, and this and that, and etc. Et so the one time, again, I'm getting confused. The the cat, the umpire, the umpire moved out of the way, and his pants split. Right. Oh boy. This is the plate ump. 
Unfortunately, we found out. In case you're just tuning in, there's people to lose telling us when he used to take his Legion and college team to Greaterford State Prison to play the prisoners. The umpire is not only not wearing a protective athletic supporter. Not wearing anything. He's not wearing any undergarments. Oh, boy. And the pants are destroyed. And he's a very large, big, strong African-American dude. Real, real quick, Lou. Uh, Mitch Prada just said, Joe Cat dragged me to Greaterford with Ambler Rebels in the early 90s. I always remember coaching third and being threatened by the inmates 10 feet away. Thanks for the memories, Joe. Mitch, how are you? Mitch played for me at Fort Washington and was all my coaching staff. Glad we could bring all these people together, but keep going. I love these He's stories. He's a financial wizard at Vanguard, by the way. Okay. So, so all of a sudden, how did we find out? The guy that's announcing with the orange turnpike cone is yelling below. And now, imagine. Microphone, Will. Imagine. There you go. A couple thousand guys coming and going in and out, trying to be like on the outer areas of the field. Hundreds of them are going behind the backstop. There's not much room behind the backstop. There's a couple guards in the tower. There's a concrete building that you go in with a big trowel. These are lonely con- men. Yeah, that's the bathroom, yeah. by the way, right? And and they're all and they're all giving their comments and yelling stuff. And we, I don't know if you knew this, at my Hall of Fame um, induction, part of my speech was to have some props, and one of those props was duct tape, because as a baseball coach, I've used a lot of duct tape. Do you know that they threw this guy a roll of duct tape? And he duct taped his pants up and around. I mean, under the, and he he umpired the rest of the game that <laughs> way. And and then he turned her oh the language. Uh now if you ever saw the movie The Longest Yard, mm-hmm. it's true. The original Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds and the the fans, the inmates who were supporting their team who decided they wanted to have an appearance that was like from Estee Lauder and Maybelline and all that. He's Mitch Pat is right. Always at the third base bleachers would be six or seven dudes done up with makeup, shirts rolled up. Like they could be on the Rob V show. Well, they were having, they were having (laughs) an identity. And I then and they'd be you know oh blah, 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 and that kind of I would crack. So up. they had cheerleaders. Yes, and they would repeat male cheerleaders. They, well, I don't know if they were really not just anything wrong with that. Not really wrong and, with that. And if I said something like you know bang bang ninety nine Gomez ham and eggs Skylab these dudes they would repeat it right and they were and it worked to my behalf because they were told because right. Next to them was the greater for bench. And they'd be yelling back, shut up, this and that. And they were totally distracting each other and to the point where we got away with some plays and things that were borderline, uh, shall we say, uh, legal more or less. So you're trying to cheat prisoners in prison. Well, that's, that's the, smart. That's the other thing. Sometimes there's accidents. So, so, so we're winning this game. Like Jeffrey Epstein accidents? Um, we don't know what happened? Not that bad. Okay. All right, so we're winning this game, and I decided to make some substitutions and bring in a couple of my younger players, one of whom would pitch after me at the University of Richmond. So he's my Legion player. And then uh, went as far as triple A with the Minnesota Twins, uh, Sean Gavigan. He's actually a baseball coach out in Wisconsin now. I bring him into the game, and um, they have a runner on second base, and there's, there's two outs. And I want him to just experience pressure in relief, and I'm going to let him – pitch the next inning so um he goes into a stretch i didn't even you know i called a fake play where he's supposed to you know jerk his head stretch and then step off and look around 
he does the following. He fakes a complete pitch to the batter. His hand, right hand, actually goes forward and throws an imaginary, and the ball's still in his hand. Turns around, fires to my shortstop, and the runner is like 15 feet off the bag, yells OF, and we tag him out. And the base humps go, use out. And, and my guys run off the field, and I said, I just saw a fake pitch. Wow. And we, meanwhile, their coach, I can't remember who this coach was, he is in an uproar. He starts yelling. Now, obviously, some of the players on the team, and they're all ages, maybe didn't know all the rules, but the guy in center field did. And he comes in like a maniac and dirt's flying and whatever. That's a balk. That's a balk. That's a fake pitch. So now they're arguing, and it's going, it's really getting out of hand. And so, you know, some of the guards get a little closer. My guys are all huddling around uh, my bench. And the umpire, this particular umpire behind the plate, I hear him yell, oh, it's legal. Uh, Lou said so. <laughs> oh, no. I never had that conversation. What do you mean it's legal? Yeah, maybe he umpired a few games. I've been there over the years, and we discussed the technicality. So now, imagine I am near the first baseline. Not only am I now surrounded by almost the Is there entire, any pictures of you of Grayford? Um, we have, I'd like to find some. We did have a reporter named... Markovitz come in 1982 for the Montgomery Record newspaper, the Dallas Intelligencer. He, <laughs> he wrote a story, but they wouldn't let you take pictures. I have oh. to find that story. We should do a radio show from Greater We should. The yard. And, and I'm out. <laughs> actually, now the inmates that were cheering for us switch sides. And I got a half a dozen of them. I'm surrounded. You can't do this. This is our house. And one guy goes, every time you come here, you get everybody all upset. I'm going, holy Christ. Every time I come, well, because our names are on the back. They just sit in the cell. Oh, we can't wait till next year till Luke gets here. We can't wait till Luke comes. You know, it almost got to that. So I got shanked. We calmed down and I said, gentlemen, um, we are going to do something that is very unusual in baseball. It's called a do-over. A mulligan. So because everybody's all upset, I'm willing to send my guys back out there. I never admitted that he did anything wrong because to this day, the kid doesn't realize he faked the pitch. So we run back on the field. They put the runner on second base. Everybody's calm. And then I call a play. I call Moondog Coyote, whatever it was, something with some numbers. And we pitch out, snap throw to third. The guy was trying to steal. And he's out by, a, by 10, 12 feet. When we tag him out, he doesn't realize he's been tugged out. The base ump doesn't say you're out. He goes, use out, you stupid mf blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, God. The, the guy gets up. He looks at my third baseman, grabs his hands, see that the ball is in the glove, takes it, and hurls it towards the wall, which is a security wall about 40 feet, whatever. And he hits the wall, ricochets, and hits a bunch of guys playing racquetball. And all kinds of crap breaks up. Meanwhile, it's a third out. <laughs> we, we run off, and, and now we got all kinds of crazy. So I agree to soothe everybody. I tell their coach, okay, I, I promise I will do it. Um, I will come May of next year. So me and one of my assistant coaches named Pat Carroll went up there as a promise and ran a three-hour baseball practice for these guys. And they were very cooperative, but they wanted to know Everything and anything about the tricks, but that was an accident, and, and you know, and it worked out 
And then one game we went up there, it was a joke that they were pulling. Um, the guy, they're doing infield, outfield. He calls my team over, and he takes his foot, and he slides its foot in front of the second base bag, and there's all these broken Coca-Cola bottles. He goes, Coach, I like your guys. I just want you to know I'm picking these up. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to pick every one of them up, but there might be, you know, a chance that some of them are left behind. So I don't know if it'll be a good idea to slide today. And, of course, I saw him with a cardboard box. I, I walked over there. I, I didn't feel any crunches. Uh, my guys were very reluctant to slide in that particular game. <laughs> yeah. Real quick, tell us about Puma. Oh, Puma. <laughs> uh, I love the nicknames. First of all, Puma had arms bigger than Hulk Hogan. And Puma was the starting third baseman uh, during the rain out that we never got to play in 1976. And I know Puma was there as a starting third baseman in 1993 because there I am coaching third. Now, Puma was big and strong, and apparently there's different stories, different guards. They tell you stories. Uh, he killed a couple guys. One guy tied a rope to and threw the rope over a uh, the roof of a house, and then hooked it up to his bumper and drove Good away. Good God. Yeah, there's all these stories about Puma. Now, Puma was probably mid-40s, well-conditioned, big, big, strong man, and uh, he's playing third base. And uh, what happened was, at one point in the game, now Puma could not hit the outside pitch, and he was a he was left-handed batter. He was a sucker for any kind of change-up. We made he had scouting reports on prisoners. Yes, I always, I always <laughs> have to about that. That's awesome. He did hit a, th a, a three-run shot once against us over that curly barbed wire fence on that wall in front of that crazy. Yeah, he barely made it around the bases because this was like in the 80s. His knees were already going bad because they had a football team for a while. And he was also a football Actually, player. that football team, that there's a football league that was on NFL Films. They had a league. It was a big deal. I don't know if they still do it. But they, everyone, they ran the league. They had a championship. It was a, Steve Sable hosted the whole. There was a whole yeah. two-hour special. Yeah, a long the Venango Bears. There was yeah. teams all around. I uh, watched these guys play yeah. good. Well, no, they had. Well, they and had the a league that they played in the prison, and these guys oh, would kill okay. each other. Yeah, well, I mean, it was insane. That's how their softball. So, league. so Puma was there for right. a long time. And so, what did you figure out about Puma? Well, here's what happened. We have a guy on second. I do not give the steal signal. I'm winning the game. It's late. I don't want to run up the score. I don't want to be harassed. Come on, we're their guests. My guy takes off. Their catcher has a good angle because my guy, it's a bad pitch. He fires down to third. My man slides, and I'm going to tell you right now, my man was probably <coughs> out. He's probably out. And the umpire, a guy named Grasshopper, with in, in, Grasshopper. in his 70s, he, he, he looked like Wee Willie, somebody from the Wild West, long hair, and a Billy Hitchcock beard and whatever, skinny and scrawny. Like the bad guy in um, uh, Longest Yard that sets uh, the guy on fire. You know, the, the, there's a bad guy, short Who, guy, Unger. Like Unger, yeah, it was like Unger. He looked like Unger. I'm not, I'm not familiar with okay. that character. Next time you but, watch it, but look for Unger. Like scruffy somebody, and he goes like this. I remember his voice, Steve. And Puma says, "What you?" And expletives are coming out of his mouth. He's going nuts. He and he takes the ball. He spikes the ball. The ball hits the ground, bounces over my head. I'm the third base coach. And it sprinkles towards the cheerleaders over in the concrete area. Out of play, I send my guy home. He, well, now the argument really... And, and Puma says, that's it. You blew that call. You absolutely blew that call. And Grasshopper says, 
I don't think I blew it. Ask Coach Lou. Oh, boy. Obviously, I got to think fast because yeah. if I get Grasshopper, and the other umpires are big dudes. I don't want them mad at me. I don't want Puma mad at me. So I cop out and say, oh, you know I'm focused on the catcher. I didn't know my guy was going to steal. That was a mistake. I never saw anything. So Grasshopper is frightened. Um, Puma reaches in his pocket and pulls out a, <coughs> a plastic fork. A lot of the inmates that were on the team, I noticed, had plastic utensils in their back pocket. Okay. He pulls out the fork and he says to Puma, uh, he says to Grasshopper, excuse me, you better sleep on your back with your eyes open. I'm going to get you. You're making me look bad. So Puma reaches in his pocket and pulls out a handful of, I think they were partially licked, furry-like hardball candy. And says, oh, come on, man. Let's be buddy. Have a candy. And freaking Puma grabs like three or four of them, doesn't even inspect them. There's no little wrappers on them. <laughs> he plops them in his mouth, spits. He says, okay, we're even. But I got to think back how you screwed me in some other games. You know, something to that effect. And and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm saying, hey, Grasshopper, like, how much, this is how I found out. How much you guys get paid for these games? He goes, two bucks, two bucks, and an extra uh, R&R time. So Puma, if he's alive... He's got to be 70-ish. And he had something coming out the back of his, his, his tag. He had a tag. Remember? i got to think now. He had a tag. It was Something was written on it. Oh, God. I, it I'm, was written on it what he was. I'm drawing a blank. I'm, I'm sorry. We're, we're going to start to widen the show. The show now, but you said he had a tag that said lifer. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Matter of fact, a lot of guys did. They had these crude metal things around there. And later on... One of my former players, I sent him up there. He got the uniform contract, and their jersey said GSCI with a tail, and in the tail it said Lifers. Because when we were going to play them in 95 or 6, it would have been the second year with the new uniforms. A week before the game, they were on lockdown. Uh, somebody had battery acid thrown in his face. Somebody got shanked and died. Apparently, there was a big brawl. It had something to do with softball guys, man at baseball guys, but the baseball guys were special, privileged, whatever. And that's the last time they had a baseball team. So that was 96? Uh, it, was, it may have been 96. I'm not sure. But they used to play one home. Well, they used to play anybody that would go. They weren't playing away games. Yes, they did. <laughs> they played away they, games? They played one away game a year for many, many years against Rock something prison north of... Um, no, maybe it was Lewisburg Prison, not far from Bucknell, because they asked one of my buddies to umpire the game when that prison visited them, and he did. And that's where they would be handcuffed to the metal post or the metal part of the green school bus. Some of our listeners might like being handcuffed. Uh, <laughs> you, mean wow. on, you mean on an inside fastball? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. Okay. But so 96 is the last time. Uh, 95, 95 or 6. I'd have to look in the book. We have to bring that back. We have to bring. We have. To, I tried to write him a letter, I think, several years ago, and I had you on the show or email him. And I think they got back like, we can't We can't do that now for obvious reasons. Everyone would get sued. Well, they have an intramural softball league now. I don't know if they play any baseball anymore. Why I don't really, we take a field trip? I'll tell you what. Me and that, you will go up there. Well, the one game we were up there, a boxing match was taking place. And it was far away. It's a big open space. And by the third inning, 
There's over 100 guys holding hands. It's a movable ring. And there's two dudes boxing, and they made it all the way to shortstop. And we had to stop the game. Did they have gloves on? or were they, <laughs> they, have gloves. they have gloves. They have gloves. And, of course, there was this dude. He was there at least five years, different years I was there. A, a tall man, a tall African-American gentleman. It was hot. He would go into the building right next to the outside trowel, and he would come out wearing a long London fog-type coat that was almost down to the ground. And he would take off his... A lot of these guys had sneakers and stuff. And yeah. he would put on these big parachute-type boots. And then he'd have a gigantic concrete roller with a handle and a post. And he would push it around the inner walls. It's got to be at least big enough to fit in uh, two football fields. And you would hear, boom, 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 boom. And he would return. And he would walk until a bell went off and it was time for him to leave. Sweating profusely in this place there was i know frank the animal fletcher was there why is he famous i believe he fought marvelous marvin hagler yeah, he's a boxer yeah, yeah. and he was there because i got he said hi to me about something because uh, he had seen our team whatever and the guard says to me yeah you know the animals here um for murder i go really yeah he says it's under appeal and he, yeah and he comes yeah it's under appeal i got framed <laughs> And a guard says to me, yeah, he's pleading self-defense. He shot the guy four times in the back. So, <laughs> Remember, they're always innocent in prison. They're always, they're always innocent. innocent. And they're always innocent. I had one guy come up to me and, and, the, and the team, and it was something like, I remember, uh, Coach Lou, um, I went to Cheltenham. Did, did you know um, um, Ira Goldstein or somebody? I said, hey, he was a good ball player. Well, he goes, yeah. In seventh grade, I stole his bike. Tell him so-and-so said hi. And I'm thinking – Wow, you got a good foreshadowing start, you know. Yeah, what's he doing? Well, what are you doing? You know? Yeah, you're in jail. Oh, uh, by the way, the Saltpeter story, okay, there's two versions of that. There was a time where they would give you a meal. Our first year we went up, um, it got rained out, so we only had the appetizers. And then the guard said, stay off the mashed potatoes, well, whatever that meant. Um, you were not allowed to bring any beverages in. They would bring you water. But the one year, this guy named... And they would let you bring tobacco in, right? Um, only certain coaches would collect it all and then give it out because the the inmates want cigarettes and gum, yeah. but they hated chewing tobacco. And there was a time period where chewing tobacco was very prominent amongst American Legion right. and college players at, at one time. But this guy named Muffy, um, Muffy. Muffy, he comes out with a, he was on the team. He never got in a game in all the years I saw him there. And he wore parachute boots with his uniform and he brought us some kind of apricot juice in a container it was terrible it was attracting bees well it was like a couple years later i'm teaching in upper dublin and the pa system comes off and i hear from the lady in the principal's office uh mr lombardo would you please come to the principal's office immediately um we're going to send some a teacher to follow your class this might take a few minutes what's going on so i show up i get there and uh, they send a, a, a teacher down to my room, and uh, the assistant principal goes, Lou, you got a, you got something serious. I've been on the phone. It's, it's greater for prison. I go, it's greater for prison? And I get on the phone, and it's somebody from the office of so-and-so. Muffy has put in to be two things. He wants to play baseball for me at Montgomery College. All right, I'm not, I don't know if that's going to happen. But he also is interested in, in being a student teacher. And he's been in prison for, I don't know, I don't even know if he has a college degree or whatever. And, and whoever 
was on the phone, had a conversation with my administrator. They're all shook up. What are you doing? This is unofficial. You cannot be making side deal arrangements with a prisoner, with a prison to bring to you. And I don't know what's going on. And I said, of course, I'll settle this. And, and it took about a day and a half. To, this guy totally misunderstood because what happened was he's thrown the ball on the side behind some cones. They designated that to be the bullpen. He wasn't very good. And he said, what do you think, coach? And I, I'm nice. I'm going, yeah. man, you got a hose there, man. Oh, that ball's moving. And he took it to heart. And they told me that there would be games that they would play, not many, but against me. He'd spend the whole time. Never got in a game. He threw 100, 150 pitches. He remembered that. And Always be honest. You should have told me something. I know. That's and, what you should have told him. He thought I wanted to recruit him to pitch for me. And uh, so you never know what is a side effect sure. from being kind. Good point. That's why you always got to be honest. Be so honest. on that note, we've we've been for two hours, believe it or not. Time's flown by. So when we wind the program down, we always go, what have you learned? So, Pep, what have you learned tonight? What have I learned? Or anything I forgot to bring up. Anything I forgot to – no. Actually, you know, before we go, Dennis Wiener just came on. Coach, okay. Coach Wiener. Coach Wiener. He was with us for one season. Um, so we just want to say hello to Dennis. And uh, what have I learned – I've learned that Lou's had a tremendous career. He's still going. How many decades do you have now? 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s? So Um, this is your sixth decade? If if I can be lucky and stay healthy and stay with you guys and continue as a general manager, um, this year, um, between being a GM and a head coach, um, I've been the head coach of 64 teams, an assistant at eight, a GM for 20 seasons. I believe in in uh, it'll take me three more years, if I'm still doing two a year, GM and helping you, I could reach 100 organizations. Wow. So that that is my goal. And what, what, I'm sorry, Lou, what year did you, 71 was it? 1971. So you got, so next year, it'll be Lou's 50th anniversary. Well, this is my 50th season. Well, this year would be your yeah. 50th season. So we could celebrate that, right? We should. We should. Well, I got to come up with something for you. That's what, that's what I need to do. Uh, so, Lou, have you learned anything tonight? Oh, God. First of all, I'm impressed with your technological skills, your ability to be what probably in a, in a other type of studio 10 people do. You're doing everything here. And uh, the fact is, there you made me remember things with your buzzwords that I completely forgot. You know, and, and it, it started to come back. And, and, of course, being with good people and at the right time. Pep recently had a birthday. Yep. His batteries are – I like the fact at this time of year you guys get your batteries charged because I know what kind of emotions you've – After the season, you, I'm done for two months. You've experienced with well, – well, last year um, I can pinpoint what went wrong. Well, that's Listen, different. Without but getting the, into detail, we didn't have wait, the pitching staff but, to normally do. But the year before, it was karma, bad karma – when we're having to play double twilight doubleheaders in the championship, and one of our key players breaks a thumb on his throwing hand. Well, it wasn't just catch- that. Blaze broke his broke his hand. I mean, I killed us. Greg wasn't there. Yeah. Eric wasn't there. There's always something that happens. Last year, we had the offense. We're missing all the pitchers. But this year, all the pitchers are back, and then some. And we have a new third baseman, which we can't get into yet. So we'll be back where we right. need to be. Well, so- yes, that's what's good. Is that we make a run? Um, I am hoping. I am hoping that we will have, be more 
consistent during the regular season. I thought last year's regular season yeah, was one of our better was, ones. But was, when I say yeah. when I say more consistent, I would love to say that there's always at least 15, 16 guys in the well, dugout. That's asking a lot. And that some people that are pitchers use the games they're not pitching in to go to the bullpen and prepare for future games. Dare to prepare. Dare to prepare and have conversations that guys have conversations with the veterans, the guys that are very knowledgeable, and and all of a sudden they're gaining more skill, you know, more confidence. And then we get to the playoffs. Which playoffs? Let me say something about those playoffs. They're the most grueling playoffs in amateur ball. What is that? Because it's, somebody's phone. Because it's, it's best. It's best of five. Yeah. That's a best of five is like grueling. So if we have the pitchers, I think we can have success. We got to make the playoffs, and I'm assuming well, we're going to make the playoffs. Oh, we'll make the what, playoffs. What, what, wait, really? We're going to make the playoffs. We'll I, always be. I've there. been in the league 13 years. I made the playoffs every single year, and I've made it. I've I've made it by the first round every year. I think, but like twice, maybe once or twice, something like that. Um, so, have you learned anything else on the program? Anything at all, or is that have you, is that pretty much all you've learned? I'm sure. In, re- in retrospect, I'll sit you'll, back. You'll think of something. I've, I've, I've always learned something. I've I've learned that uh, if we do a radio show, it'll take Lou, Lou might talk into the microphone half the time. Sorry, maybe we'll we'll get him we'll get him working on that. Uh, when we have Lou here, Pep doesn't get to talk as much as he would like. That's okay. This, this, was, this was the the coach Lou That's two Lou's hours. Night. Lou's I night. I wanted Lou on the show. Now this will be up. People can listen to it. Everyone they can download it. You can have people. You can send it to people. This is like a a time capsule of Coach Lou. And I wanted to. Talk a little baseball because I'm starting to get the itch again. And and I didn't say this at the top, but Lou's like my baseball panic. He's like my life coach. He talks me off an edge. Oh, Lou, so and so, I want to get him. What do you think? Well, you don't want to do that, or Lou, I'm in a bad. But you shouldn't be in a bad mood. This is why you should be in a good mood. So Lou's like my uh, I don't know. He's my Yoda, I guess. He's my he's my psychologist. He's a crazy psychologist, but he, he's there when I need him when I need to talk about baseball. And I've been wanting to do this forever, to have you come in. Thank I'm, you. Every time we talk, I'm like, Lou, this is a podcast. Lou, this is a podcast. Let's get you in here. We got you in. I still don't think we covered everything. We'll probably no. have to have you have you back again, which I really appreciate. Um, so, uh, oh, by the way, this will mean nothing to Lou, but I'll tell I'll tell uh, Pep. Nikki Hunter and Brandy Love are just going into the AVN Hall of Fame, so that Ooh. got announced yesterday. So congratulations to them. Lou has no idea what that means. I I'll know tell what him. that means. It's uh, Vegas, uh, uh, right? It's Vegas. <laughs> Lou it's does like, know. It's like Hall of Fame Day now. Yeah, Hall of Fame NFL, AVNs. Yeah, I taught yeah. current events. Everybody that I know goes into some sort of Hall of Fame. Whether it's the North Penn Hall of Fame, Montgomery County Hall of Fame, or the AVN Hall of Fame. Someday it'll be one for us, Rob. Well, well we win two more titles. We're Someday. Going to, we'll go into the Perky League Hall of Fame. At least that's what we'd like to do someday. But we got to win a couple more titles to even Could be I in that conversation. Could I give a word about my upcoming charity event? Yes, go ahead. Okay. This February 2nd, Super Bowl Sunday at Wissahickon High School. Uh, it formerly started at Montgomery College around 1992. Is my annual uh, Mid-Atlantic Umpires uh, Clinic. And uh, I have seven, eight teachers representing PIAA, American Legion, Babe Ruth, College, and my lead teacher is Al Porter, former player and the home plate umpire in Game One of the 2019 World Series. What we are, what we began doing two years ago at the whim and the request of the PIAA, is reaching out to teenagers. So we have sponsors, and we're seeking more sponsors. In the past, Christian Militillo, the Runaround, and myself, and State Representative Tom Re- uh, Tom Mert, etc. Um, 
We are hoping to have 75 teens, like roughly 8th grade through 12th grade, boys and girls, attending this year. Last year it was like 45. So far, I've given away like 45 scholarships, and I've already sent stuff out. But if anybody out there um, is a student, we've lowered it to 7th grade. 7th through 12th grade, um, you can either contact Rob or my email address is very simple. I coached the Golden Generals for many years. It's small letters. It's the word general, G-E-N-E-R-A-L, 4444 at Comcast.net. If you send me a request for scholarship, uh, you will receive one. And then, of course, adults, it's a $15 fee, and they get certified. Al and I make the test. And when we're all done, we donate all proceeds to Ambler Junior Baseball, to their registration fund for disadvantaged kids, to Homers for Hope, an organization that, like, your child needs to go to John Hopkins for a few days. They'll pay the hotel. Uh, Your child needs a wheelchair ramp. They raise the funds. And then my final organization we help is Pitch In for Baseball. Um, We try to buy them equipment, and they take all used equipment, which we will be collecting that day. They fix everything up, and then they give it away. Lou, I appreciate it. And that'll wind up the 306. Oh, yes, Pep. I, I just got a text. I have to say hello to my uh, 11-year-old niece. So It's a good thing this is the G-rated show. I know. She just texted Oh, me, gotcha. Okay, so. just checking. <clears throat> so, hello, Lexi. It's time for bed. <laughs> so, for the 363rd time, Lou and Pep, in the words of my brother, the, assi- the assistant chief, Zach Valivas, of the world-famous Fort Washington Fire Company, two wrongs don't make a right. They make an even. Good night, everybody. Good night.